Hi there, I'm Esme V, and you're listening to a special edition of Gender Critical Story Hour with Amy and Esme. We recorded the episode earlier this year because Amy and I felt it was high time to expose the haters inside the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, an apparently independent non-governmental organization funded by Trudeau's Liberals to the tune of $268,000 per year. Their stated mandate is to, quote, monitor hate groups, far-right groups, and hate crimes in Canada, unquote. However, the CHAN, or CON, in its overzealous search for hatred, has targeted a number of groups and individuals in Canada who are respectfully asking legitimate questions about the Trudeau regime's unconstitutional legislation and mandates. Their targets include gender-critical women and pro-freedom journalists and activists. Joining us in the discussion were Jonathan Kay, editor at Quillette and op-ed contributor at the National Post, Andy Lee, independent investigative journalist, Libby Emmons, editor-in-chief at the Post Millennial, Rain McLeod, founder of Alberta Radical Feminists, and Mia Ashton, contributor at The Critic and The Post Millennial. There's a really great article, if you haven't already read it, uh, that was in C2C Journal by uh, John Klein, and he did write an excellent expose, and that's already going back two years ago, on Khan. And um, I just want to read a little bit of an excerpt from that piece that he did. So, uh, so welcome, John. Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. I just want to read a little bit, and then we're, I want to get into, first of all, the uh, <laughs> the uh, the tweets that you found from Bernie Farber during the trucker convoy. I thought that was kind of interesting. And um, we'll get into that. But I, what I wanted to read was uh, a little backgrounder on Con that was uh, by John Klein in the C2C Journal. Just little bit of a background here. So uh, Khan began operations in early 2018, billing itself as an, quote, independent nonprofit organization made up of Canada's leading experts and researchers on hate groups and hate crimes, unquote. Its mandate, according to Khan's website, is, quote, to monitor, research, and counter hate groups by providing education and information on hate groups to the public, media, researchers, courts, law enforcement, and community groups, unquote. And it makes no bones about the inspiration for its domestic anti-hate crews. In a letter to a House of Commons committee introducing itself to Canadian parliamentarians last April, Khan claimed to be, quote, modeled after and supported by the esteemed Southern Poverty Law Center in the United States, unquote. The letter was delivered several weeks after the no longer esteemed Dees, who he was the chief litigator, for the SPLC, what was his first name? Morris Dees, chief litigator. That letter was delivered several weeks after the no longer esteemed Dees was fired for allegations of sexual and racial misconduct. Khan is chaired by Bernie Farber, well-known in Canadian media circles for an earlier career as CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress. Other members, other key members of the organization include Executive Director Evan Balgord, a former Special Assistant to Toronto Mayor John Tory, 
controversial, quote, anti-hate lawyer Richard Worman and Ontario Institute of Te Technology professor Barbara Perry. So that's just a little bit about Khan. So, so John, tell us what you, what <laughs> the tweet that you uh, found during the trucker convoy that, uh, that Bernie Farber so graciously shared with everybody just to let everyone know just how horrible the truckers were. Oh yeah. So, well, Bernie attributed this to his, uh, his friend. Uh, and <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a brief tweet. This was Bernie Farber. Uh, it said, taken by a friend in Ottawa at the occupation, apparently in plain sight. Um, and then there was this a picture of a genuinely concerning, I mean, it was a genuinely anti-Semitic flyer, um, which you know, blamed Jews for COVID and stuff. Like, it, it looked genuinely concerning. But then if you did some research, you found that, like, the exact same flyer, the exact same photo, exact same background, uh, was circulated in Miami Beach by the Miami Beach Police Department <laughs> uh, on January 23rd. This is like well before the convoy even started. Um, and so I confronted Bernie with this online because uh, I, I took the two pictures side by side and I said, uh, well, Bernie, um, isn't it incredible that the picture your, your quote-unquote friend sent you is identical to the one you posted on to a photo that was posted on Twitter two weeks ago by someone in Miami. Um, and it was kind of like, he sort of tried to defend it. Um, and then he just deleted the tweet after a few hours and then he blocked me and he blocked other people who confronted him about it. And it was, it's kind of, um, I mean, I feel bad for Bernie. Like Bernie was a legitimate figure in the Jewish community. He led the Canadian Jewish Congress. I was friends with Bernie. We used to go for smoke meat on, at this place called Wolfie's, um, you know, he wrote for me when I was at the National Post. Um, and and then the Canadian Jewish Congress folded. And and years later, it's um, he's with this outfit. And it's uh, it's kind of a sad thing, to be honest. Like, he's, he's not a dumb guy, but he's with this organization that calls itself an anti-hate network. But in this case, it was just spreading nonsense. And actually, as I understand it, this uh, this business with the the, the flyer um, that I just discussed this was um, this was discussed I think in Parliament today when they were grilling uh, the executive director of the CAHN over the uh, Trudeau's emergency order so I'm glad to see they got called out on that and not just on Twitter oh that's that's a great thing because I that's the sort of thing that has, is normally just uh, swept under the rug you know like when Whenever there's any, you know, fact checking on any of this stuff or refutation, it's just, you know, everybody, of course, remembers the shocking allegations, but nobody ever, you know. Well, so in this case, it kind of stuck. I mean, it, like, it stuck at the time. I mean, Bernie deleted and he looked ridiculous. But uh, this is actually just a couple of hours ago. It's been reported. I'm just reading off the Internet. Conservative, M Conservative MP Dane Lloyd grilled the CAHN today for falsely claiming that an anti-Semitic flyer from Miami was at the Freedom Convoy protest. Uh, the executive director of CAHN, according to this report, admi admits they didn't verify the photo and relied on hearsay. Um, so, I mean, to the extent to the extent Canadians are following this, like I, you know, this is um, these are the hearings that are mandated by the legislation enabling the Emergencies Act. So, um, yeah. But I, I, on the other hand, I mean, there are certain organizations that maybe they're beyond embarrassment. Um, I, I don't know if CHN falls into that category, but they might. 
Was I think it's Bernie. Oh, oh, okay, go ahead, Amy. Bernie's initial response when you called him out was just to kind of say, well, this is the sort of thing that you would expect at this rally. So it doesn't really matter if it's not. Right. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> he was sort of like, well, I meant this as a kind of example of the genre, you know, <laughs> it's like, and then I, I mean, I, uh, kind of stuck him to the wall though i say well that's not what you said bernie you said that photo was taken at the um and then he kind of said well you know we're friends like you know give me some slack like the whole thing was kind of weird um and and i i think i would give him some slack if he weren't like the chair chairperson of this organization that purports to be monitoring the state of hatred in canada and of course there is hatred as, as in all countries Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that they have this imprimatur, they have government money now, uh, the media quotes them, um, they have to be held to accountability uh, yeah. and their behavior is crazy. And it isn't, it isn't just misinformation that's being reported, like their behavior is crazy. They just, they block people all over the place on social media. Um, it's, 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 it's bizarre behavior for or an organization that holds itself out as like this august arbiter of what, what is hatred and what is not. Because the they blocking. themselves act like internet trolls often. So it's, it's just they a weird do. situation. The blocking is what really gets to me is that they got $268,000 in federal funding to monitor online hate. And yet a lot of these people they've run hit pieces on, they have just blocked online. So what kind of monitoring are they actually doing when um, they're not even following us? Yeah, that's a weird situation. Well, it is what I'm starting to call the hate industrial complex, right? Like they need, it's, it's along the same lines as the, the Jesse Smollett and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there really is uh, an industry that's being uh, built up around this. And in fact, in this piece, in the, the John Klein's piece, he, he says, and I'll quote from it again, um, having inserted itself into public discussions on hate, the next requirement in SPLC, the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center, mimicry is to build a case that Canada is a seething hotbed of hatred. Khan's website offers a veritable avalanche of revealed hate. Neo-Nazi groups are lurking in central Canadian suburbs. Hate groups you've never heard of are organizing across Atlantic Canada. Gender identity hatred is simmering on the West Coast. Anti-Semitism is surging everywhere. You know, so that, uh, I think that, you know, once they get themselves immersed in this world of, you know, we got to find the hate, we got to search it out, I mean, it's they're getting big bucks, as uh, Amy said, two hundred sixty-eight thousand um, dollars last year. They uh, their mandate was to write thirty uh, investigative pieces uh, routing out um, hatred and hate groups, and and our group, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, of which. Um, Amy and I are founding members and Mia is in the network and Rain is in the network. Um, they've done three just on us alone. And we're a women's group that is promoting women's sex-based rights. We're, we're nothing of the sort of a hatred, uh, a hate group. And, uh, and yet they've, they've found 10% of their, <laughs> their work is devoted to what we're doing. So it sort of makes you wonder, I'm sure. And here's the other thing about them is that they they are exposing actual hatred. Like there are, if you look on their website, you'll see that there are, there are despicable people being, being highlighted, but then they've got to sort of like flesh it out because there's not enough, you know, 
it's apparently because if they're if we're they're throwing us in with it, apparently there's not enough hatred to fulfill their mandate of thirty you know pieces. It's it's just it's incredible. Um, and uh, you know, uh, so we've invited uh, Amy and I have have also invited other. Uh, uh, speakers here uh, tonight uh, who have also uh, been the brunt of these hit pieces. And I want to get Andy Lee in here because the most recent hit, hit piece that was done on, on um, Cosbar, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, Mia, who's here was uh, her tweet was, was quoted and, and it's simply because Cosbar retweeted it that, that we got, uh, you know, slammed for that. But uh, when we uh, tweeted from the Cosbar about the latest hit piece from us, um, that's when uh, Andy Lee replied and, and said that they, she had been uh, a target as well of this bully organization. And, and um, Andy, uh, welcome. I know that you're just rushing back from, court and uh you you know thank you so much for for being here but i think it's really important to expose what's going on so do you want to give us an idea of of what they've been doing um to you yeah well i, I did a it started when I, I did a podcast on them and so i questioned the the funding and thank you for everybody for coming and listening as well um so i was questioning the funding and i was particularly questioning their their ties with echoes research because they worked in collaboration with Echoes Research, and what they did was they were looking for hate-based polls. Uh, and the, you know, the underlying message seemed to be that uh, the need for internet censorship was there, and it was desired. And that was sort of the, you know, the the outcome of these polls that were done in collaboration between Echoes and the Anti-Hate Network. So I questioned if this was part of a broader agenda to push towards, uh, you know, greater internet restrictions. And I was very, very concerned, and it's not the first time we saw it. I pointed out the same thing that went on between Nanos Research and uh, a, an organization called the CRRF. And so, you know, it's sort of a, a trend that I'm seeing is that we seem to see federally funded anti-hate groups that are teaming up with pollsters, um, and they're putting forward questions like, would you like to see, you know, tighter online restrictions? And they're very leading surveys. And so these surveys are then used and, you know, they're put out there in articles and they seem to be pushing a, a bigger agenda. And that agenda seems to be, you know, in favor of, of tighter Internet restrictions. And I mean, you know, when you actually look at so I went and I looked at Statistics Canada, I looked at hate crimes and hate crimes have increased, but they've increased proportionally with how our population has increased. So there's not really this epidemic of hate that's been you know, sort of put forward before, what's happened is uh, hate laws and, and the definition of hate crimes has changed, actually. And so you can, uh, you know, when they say that there's a 30-something increase in hate crimes, what they don't say is that they've also broadened what is included in that category. So this could be things like property crime. Uh, you know, it could be vandalism. And so, you know, this, this increase that's being quoted by these institutions may be a little bit misleading. We really don't know if, if hate crimes have increased, if they're continually moving the goalposts on what a hate crime is. So I question this. And then after I did that, so I don't know if, if the anti-hate network was behind it, but I can say it was supporters of that network. So they did, unfortunately, they made a, a YouTube channel 
on the YouTube channel was that was back when I was anonymous. It was sort of dedicated to, to tracking me down. Uh, you know, they put up videos of me. They put up uh, newspaper articles on my family and my children. Most of you know, my, my children are actually Chinese and my mother is, is actually gay. So, um, you know, it, it was sort of a, a massive failure on, on their part to, to out me as this, uh, you know, this sort of enemy of, of, of the people and this, you know, this white supremacist and this, this right winger. And most of you know that I, I love doing advocacy for, you know, for groups. And that's really where my heart is. So uh, it, it was it was really hurtful what they did. And it was it ended up I had to file a police report um, because they put all my personal information out there. So, you know, it's just sort of when you have these anti hate networks and, and these groups that, that are dedicated to tracking, tracking down citizens, you know, it comes with a lot of responsibility um, because they legitimately, I feel, put me into into danger through, you know, and it's, I'm not the only person that they've done it to. If you can go on their website, you can see them uh, in car chases, chasing pastors around. And I don't know all the background on these pastors. Maybe they are good people. Uh, maybe they're bad people. I don't know. But regardless, you know, we don't sort of result to, to martial law. Um, you know, that, that's not the, the mandate of this organization at all. So very concerning stuff going on in it. That's my story. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to, to, to everybody else. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Andy. And also, I just realized at the beginning, as we were trying to get uh, the mics going, I didn't introduce myself. <laughs> and my name is Lisa Vespi. I also, I'm also known as Esme, uh, because that was my original pseudonym. Uh, and Andy, you had a pseudonym as well. Uh, but last year, uh, our Amy and I do do this podcast. It's It's just promoting women's sex-based rights. And uh, we were on Spotify and um, after a single complaint from some rando dude who has a uh, porn podcast in Australia uh, claiming that we were transphobic, uh, Spotify uh, just kicked us right off uh, the platform. And so we had to scramble to get another, and we're on rss.com right now. But as that happened, uh, Libby, who's here, uh, w was very interested in the story and, and wrote it up for the post-millennial. And um, so she wanted a quote from both Amy and, and myself. And uh, and I was, I was just so ticked off that this could happen after a single complaint. Uh, and we're just a very small podcast, you know, like why are they p picking on us? Um, I, I decided I was going to out myself and use my real name. So I'm kind of like Posey Parker now where I'm still using <laughs> my, my pseudonym Esme from time to time, but I also go by Lisa and it's Lisa with a Z. So I'm also called Liza. Um, Libby, um, thank you for, for doing that story. And, um, I know that, uh, that the, uh, Canadian Anti-Hate Network has also targeted, uh, uh, the post-millennial with some choice words about your fine uh, publication and, and characterizing it as, you know, far right and, uh, and, and casting aspersions on the work that you do there. So I'm wondering if you want to just jump in at this point. Yeah, sure. Um, we have been targeted by them. We've been targeted by lots of people, <laughs> groups who claim to be opposing uh, hate and call us all sorts of names. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And I find that um, what's really disturbing to me is that you can say things that are true, um, like actual, just actual facts, and be called hateful for doing that. 
And I think that that's what happened to um, you guys with, with the, the ban and what happens um, across social media. Who knows if it's going to be different now that we have, you know, the new, the new Twitter overlord. It certainly could be interesting. Um, but that's the, that's the thing that really gets me is this, this notion that you can't say that men aren't women and that to say that is in some way hateful, that holding up delusions of others is considered to be the appropriate way to behave, but only in this very specific instance. So that's pretty interesting as well, yeah. but it's just these, it's just these little tidbits of, um, that are blown up because there's assumptions that we are these bad guys. And then they yeah, use that and to they... justify all of these bans and attacking revenue, um, attacking people individually, all of that. Well, and it's the spin that they put on it. So they may t- there may be some little kernel of truth, uh, and then they just completely twist it around and blow it up. So, for instance, uh, we are called... They characterize us. They call us... In, in the first hit piece that they, that they did, they call us uh, one of Canada's largest trans-exclusionary radical feminist turf groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, an ideology that co-ops the rhetoric of feminism to further mer- marginalize and attack the transgender community. And we do nothing of the sort. We, no. you know, and, and we're not even, uh, in, 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 in technical terms, not even a radical feminist group. We're a women's group. We're, you know, uh, uh, many, uh, we, we are nonpartisan. And for that, we're attacked as well, because they say that we're aligning with, you know, scary conservative forces in which, you know, in this case, diversity really is our strength because we are just all about women, no matter what your political stripe, no matter, you know, your race, your creed, your, uh, you know, you know, ethnicity. Uh, we just we want to build the base of women across Canada. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we're working together really, really well uh, because it's just that uh, important. It's a foundational issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, but and yet they will spin that around and, and say that we're collaborating with uh, social conservatives. Ooh, scary, you know. Um, well, as you mentioned, Liza, the fact that they basically have a quota that they're trying to meet for hate in Canada. So they have to do this guilt by association thing. And that that's definitely their MO is they're like, so-and-so at one point did something with so-and-so who was loosely associated with this other person. And that's how they are building all of these hate networks that literally don't even exist. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that got out of control being adjacent to somebody that makes you, you know, guilty. Right. Ahead, there's Libby. all of these. Yeah. There's all of these things. A friend of a couple of friends of mine are dealing with this right now. They took a photograph together, and now both of them are being slammed for having associated with the other one. And it was at an event that was about um, by like cross partisan discourse. <laughs> and so it's like, oh my god, <laughs> with this person at this event that was about talking to people you might disagree with. How dare you? You know. Um, how dare you? How dare you? But I think it's That's very insane. interesting what Amy was just saying about it being an industry, which I think that once you put a lot of funding into, um, you know, anti-hate networks or anti-racism or, um, 
any of these things, you see that a bunch of not-for-profits start to form and things like that, and it just needs to be perpetuated so that people keep their jobs. That's how, like, the diversity, equity, inclusion um, concept has now become a full-fledged industry with people making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And if there's no racism, then what are they doing? You know, why do they have these jobs? I was talking to my son and his friend about this. They're at a public school in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and they're constantly having these uh, assemblies where they talk about racism. And there's all this conversation about um you know, gender identity and sexual orientation and how you have to respect all of these things. So I said to them one day, I said, um, so there must be a lot of, there must be a lot of racism at your school, right? If you need all of these assemblies to talk about how to combat racism, it must be like the most racist place ever. And they were both like, no, no. And I asked one of them who's, um, who's air, who's, uh, his family's from Morocco. And I was like, have you experienced a lot of racism at the school? And he's like, no, not, not any, not any. So that's the same that I hear from my Canadian friends who aren't white. Um, you know, I think people have said maybe once in my life, someone has yelled a racial slur at me for the most part. It's been absolutely fine. I've never experienced anything like people would assume that we might, because there's so much talk about institutional racism, um, uh, and systemic racism everywhere, but no one. And it's like no really... one has experienced it. And I think yeah. a lot of that is true as well with regard to like gender identity and stuff. And that's why the idea now is that if you accidentally misgender someone, or you know can't tell what sex a person is, or can tell and you know they don't want you to be able to tell, then somehow that is hateful somehow it's hateful to um you know and that's not that's not hateful at all that's like in a lot of cases that's an honest mistake you know and it's just it's like the definition of hate has to be thoroughly expanded to encompass all of these things in order to prop up the industry it does i was rereading some of these chn hit pieces preparing for today and saw that they had written that I spoke at an anti-transgender hate rally um, when in fact I was just talking about the fact that SOGI education in BC schools teaches children that if they don't conform to gender stereotypes, they might be in the wrong body and then they end up medicalized and harmed. And um, yeah, it was, it's um, just outrageous then to see this, the federal government paying these people to investigate citizens and call people like myself um hateful and anti-transgender it's not even just the canadian government by the way it's the bank of montreal made a donation of a million dollars um and they split it up equal well i don't know that they split it up equally actually they said uh bmo financial group today announced a donation uh, this is dated back like um Oh, it looks like June 3rd of 2020, uh, donate, announced a donation of $1 million to a number of organizations in North America. Um, so it said, aligned with BMO's purpose, the bank will donate funds to ND, the ND, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Equal Justice Initiative, and uh, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. The donation also includes support for Greater Twin Cities United Way. So that means, I mean, they could have had a dollar, they could have potentially gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars from this. So 
it's millions of dollars that they have pretty much access to. It's not just supported by the government. There's, there's big money here. Yeah, and um, Rain, uh, so that's Rain McLeod speaking of Alberta Radfems, and um, and you make such a great point about that, about the money that's behind it. I mean, as we know, there's all kinds of money be behind the gender identity industry as well, and uh, for, I think it, this speaks to the larger issue of uh, Canadian society no longer willing to have conversations about class analysis, that, you know, uh, uh, corporations are so overjoyed to, to be able to put their money behind uh, these issues that seek to uh, slice us and dice us into smaller and smaller identity groups so that we're fighting with each other and arguing and so that we're not really looking at what's going on at the top with the billionaire class and what they're doing to us and how they're, you know, they're rigging the system against us. Um, this is just, you know, a great investment for them to invest in these, these organizations just to take the light off of uh, what, what they're doing. So, um, so yeah, so um, Rain is here today also because Al Al Alberta Radfems has been a target as well. So when you add, I, how many hit pieces have they done on, on your organization, Rain? Well, they kind of came after me on two different fronts. So I was one of the founders of the Alberta Women's Advocacy Association. Um, and I'm part of, um, I'm a founder of, um, of Alberta Radical Feminists. Um, and so they wrote this one piece on me in August of last year and uh, basically uh, implied that I'm a racist eugenicist. They got a lot of things literally just factually incorrect in the same piece. They said uh, they put in there that we went to that we were at or they they said they were talking about the rally that we held in last June, uh, which was, by the way, regarding male violent male prisoners being housed in women's prisons on the basis of a self-ID, so not ideal. Um, and they said, oh, it was held at Canada Olympic Plaza. Oh, it was held at Calgary Legislature Grounds, which doesn't exist, by the way. And they said, oh, and it's fitting that they held it at the famous five statues because those ladies were super racist eugenicists. Da, 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 da. And then they deliberately misquoted me and um, or the, the Twitter account and uh, said that I basically was also eugenicist like there was literally no way to respond to everything line item by line item so uh together with um some some of the other members of a way what we put together a response um and obviously they blocked us uh, i asked them for um, an apology and a commitment to do better uh, when they sent us the request for comment we sent them a cease and desist letter um they immediately blocked us the because we weren't blocked until I tagged them in. And I was like, would you like to respond? Because I, I said, um, we welcome Khan's elucidation of their reasoning behind their targeted assessment, or harassment of women's rights groups in Canada and demand that their entire quote-unquote article be taken down or corrected with evidence supporting their outrageous, offensive, and defamatory claims. Um, we also demand a, an apology from Khan and a commitment to more ethical and balanced behavior from their directors going forward. They just blocked us. They're so glib about all of this as far as i know i've only been named one time um personally i know that they talk big game about how um i think they've gone after dr kathleen lowry a bunch and dr linda blade um they've mentioned how it's big in the west they very much love to associate anything that's happening in alberta with the monsters that are in bc 
uh, which is just, I mean, they're just so glib about it. They face literally no consequences. By the way, I did actually try to approach a few defamation lawyers um, regarding this because they like said some really gnarly stuff that could actually screw up my life. It fortunately, you know, they, it hasn't yet anyway. Um, but every single lawyer that I spoke to, and there was five, I think of them, um, all of them had conflicts of interest, which makes me kind of think that they maybe have a bunch of different defamation lawyers on retainer. So nobody can actually fight them. I'm not sure. And they have the money and the resources to do that. So yeah. they, they, they specifically go after, uh, uh, small organizations with no, I mean, our, the gender critical movement across Canada, uh, we're all working as volunteers. There is absolutely no public funding of anything. I mean, we wouldn't even apply for it, none of us, because any of us, because we would uh, know that for sure we'd be turned down. Uh, And so they, they just, they're just going like, this is the ultimate punching down. I mean, of course it is. We, yeah, like we, I call them the Canadian, you know, women haters network. I mean, it's, it's just absurd that they think that they can get away with this. It's, it's truly same shit, different century uh, in silencing women. So, um, so I, I've put up your, uh, the, the, um, the uh, hit piece on, uh, on your organization, Rain. And I just want to, Mia is having trouble with staying on. Um, her phone is glitching and she can't. But so I want to get you in here, Mia, while uh, we have you and your, your, your speaker is, uh, your mic is working. And um, yeah, so, so Mia is, is, has a, a wonderful following uh, uh, on, online and is very, very open. She's writing also for uh, the critic and, um, and has, I think, a piece coming up in Colette and um, is very outspoken and, and writes some really direct and, um, and truthful tweets. And for that, uh, we, we, got, we got hit with another uh, hit piece because uh, Cosbar retweeted you. Mia is also a spokeswoman for Cosbar. So, so welcome, Mia. Let's see if we can keep you on the line. Thank you. Yes, I've I've been in and out about five times so far. The app keeps crashing. So let's hope I get through this. So what would you like me to do? Just um, first start with my tweet. Yeah, let's talk about the tweet that you did and, and uh, the fact that uh, it did not pass muster for the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. <laughs> okay, sure. So the tweet is no longer available because it was reported. Twitter deemed it hateful. I had a suspension and I had to delete it. I fully intend to uh, redo it because I think it's a solid tweet and I stand by every word um, when I'm sure that I can redo it without getting suspended. So I wrote, they turned a mental illness into a civil rights movement and made failure to validate the sufferer's delusion a hate crime. As a result, children are being sterilized and young people are having healthy body parts chopped off. If you speak out against this, you are a bigot. So it's definitely blunt, and, and I, I will I will concede to that. But I do stand by every word. Um, one thing that I think anti hate may have misinterpreted is um, who whom I'm talking about. So when I say they turned a mental illness into a civil rights movement, I'm not saying the transgender community. I'm saying the trans rights activist and and the trans movement as as a whole. 
ideological movement. Um, and they did. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness. Um, Anti-hate seemed to really object to um, people calling it that, but it is. It's in the DSM-5, and they have turned it into a civil rights movement. We are all forced to play along with the delusion. If a man says he's a woman, we have to pretend that he's a woman. And that, uh, as a result of that, it follows on that if a child says they are transgender, we all must pretend that the child is transgender too. And by pretending that, many children are ending up sterilized and young people are having healthy body parts chopped off. So I don't see where the hate is, to be honest. It's all true. Yeah, exactly it. And that was part of a, a, a piece that they did. So th this is the inciting incident for this space tonight, because after the third one, we thought, well, come on, <laughs> this is a pattern of like depravity on the part of uh, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Um, and uh, they, uh, uh, this one was called, uh, quote, okay, groomer, hate tropes fueling opposition to 2SLGBTQ plus rights in Canada. Um, from the last federal election to American policies creeping north, the trope of 2SLGBTQ plus <laughs> persons targeting children continues to permeate the worst spaces online. And so what they've done is they've taken this idea that because we are as, as primarily as women, as mothers, as grandmothers, as aunts, as people, women who are just concerned about kids and talking about this stuff. And it is akin to grooming because we know from the, you know, sexual um, uh, abuse experts, how this happens is that you not only have to, in order for the predator to, to be stalking the prey, they not, they're not only grooming the child or the young person or the the the, uh, the victim themselves they have to groom the entire uh, milieu in which everybody is operating so they get the parents you know to trust them and so if you sort of apply this in a larger sense the whole um, let's pretend that sex doesn't exist movement is one big grooming movement because it's saying that, you know, a child, um, a boy child can be placed in with girls on overnight trips and all that. And we're all supposed to just go along with it because it's sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and you name it. And it's, it's just all for anti-hate. It's anti-bullying. And so they lull us into the sense that, you know, we need to accept this and that anyone who calls it out is is hateful. So the term groomer is entirely uh, apt, but what they then do is they connect it with the horrific uh, accusations, uh, you know, uh, up until just recently when um, uh, gay and lesbians were accused of, of, of grooming young people. And this is, this is a complete fantasy that w we mean anything like the sort, because we're just talking about the, the gender identity industry and, and what they're doing. And, you know, and, and the gender identity industry has hijacked 
the LGB, you know, uh, rights movement, which has done so much great work to foster so much goodwill and roll back all those hor horrible stereotypes. And we completely support that work. And many of our, you know, most prominent and hardworking women in our movement are lesbians. And we we hold hands with them every single day. So it's just the way that they're they're able to twist it around. And anybody reading it, reading these stories, and probably very kind-hearted people, um, and they want to do the right thing, and they want to be good Canadians, and they look at this, and they and they would actually just think that that was you know truthful what's being written about us, and it and it's and it's really not. So yeah, Rain, go ahead. I mean, it, it, I think it is honest people who are reading this stuff. And if half of the stuff that they wrote about us was true, that would be legitimately horrifying. But the only way that they can get the content, if that's what you want to call it, for their website, which given the amount of money they get, you'd think they'd be able to do a better job on the like visuals on that, then it, every, everyone should be reasonably horrified. But the thing is, none of it is true. Yeah. And then they, and then they lump us in with, as I you know said previously, there are some hate groups that they they're actually exposing and and so that should be done but then to to bundle us in with that is you know um it's just an egregious use of taxpayer money and it's also an attack on our rights it shouldn't and be we done. can't fight it back be done by this group of people though they've shown that they are liars and not trustworthy so they they should be disbanded there should be um a more trustworthy group of people doing this work it's also, I think, substantially misogynist. And this is something that is so often overlooked, is that the movement to um, claim women's spaces, to claim, um, basically, to redefine women's bodies, uh, you know, to claim women's um, sports and all of that is a deeply misogynist thing. And we're, not, we're supposed to just completely ignore the fact that motherhood is being erased that women's athletics are being erased, that women's bodies are being redefined as bodies that are actually male. Um, we're just supposed to ignore this. And what it really shows is like that the entire movement to um, you know, disrupt the patriarchy, if you will, has actually just completely metastasized into um, you know, the patriarchy in essence, taking over everything uh, that women are and telling women um, that their concerns are irrelevant, just like they used to telling women, you know, not to worry their pretty little heads over it, just like they used to uh, telling women that um, the definition of a woman is what a man says it is, right, just like they used to claiming that, you know, if you're not wearing dresses and doing your nails and all of that stuff you're not a very good woman you're not good enough as a woman just like they used to i mean it's the same exact stuff just repackaged um and re-exhibited by you know men who want to control women just like they always have wanted to um and i think that it's totally it's terrifying to see what's happening to the most vulnerable women like prisoners there was just a case, uh, a trans, a, a man, a male prisoner who goes by the name Diamond and was housed at Rikers Island in New York City, raped a woman in the shower, forced her down like a violent rape in the shower. Uh, 
and this was a guy in a trans in a in a in a women's prison because he said that he was trans. What is that if not just gaining access to women's spaces in order to violate women, which is of course the reason that we developed women's spaces in the first place. And that the very fact that the Canadian Anti-Hate Network says that organizations like ours and Alberta Radfems <clears throat> and many other organizations that we have co-opted feminism. They, they state that, that we have co-opted. And, and the thing is, is that this, this actually um, uh, highlights the fact that um, the state-sponsored official feminism of Canada is what we call liberal feminism, which does chant trans women are women. And it is not radical feminism. And nobody in the mainstream media is, has ever uh, attempted to find out what the different uh, strands of feminism are and what the various philosophies are. Women's rights and women, the women's movement is, is not a monolith. The women's movement is, is uh, diverse. We have different opinions on things and different experiences. And this analysis has never been done in the mainstream media. So you see these statements like, well, you know, if, you know, on, on the, 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 the official, you know, wage uh, women and gender equality, which by the way, uh, won't get into this too much, but in 2018, um, the, the women's uh, department, the status of women Canada uh, was quietly changed to women and gender equality. So now women are a subset in our own women's department. And that is the official state sponsored form of quote unquote feminism in which they chant trans women are women. And there's never been any sort of analysis of that. And there, there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ignorance around what it is to to be a feminist in Canada to the point where we, when we started um, Canadian women's sex sex based rights, uh, we decided not even to brand ourselves as feminists. We, we just call ourselves a women's organization because of the um, all of the misinformation and disinformation about what feminism is and isn't. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, just for the, for the Canadian Anti-Hate Network to tell us we're co-opting feminism, I find is a, is a, is a, is a deeply offensive uh, statement. So let's go to Andy. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, it just, it, it's tremendously disturbing that, you know, we, it just seems like our power to even question things have been taken away. And if you followed me on my old account, I got into it with Morgane Ogre, and she's she really uh, she's a trans rights activist, and you know she really went after a, a women's shelter in Vancouver. It was for rape victims, and uh, you know she went after them for for not allowing trans individuals, uh, you know, at the request of sort of the people who occupied this shelter, and she felt that that was very unreasonable for them to ban uh, trans women from it. And so she, she viciously went after this shelter. The shelter ends up being vandalized. Uh, you know, it, it was terrible. I'm not gonna say what was written on it, but you can imagine, uh, you know, all the, the turf stuff that comes out. There was dead animals left at the shelter. So, I mean, these were, you know, women who were already traumatized seeking shelter that, you know, had to be subjected to, to this harassment. And, you know, I, I really fought back against Morgane for that. I just, I was like, you know, there's other trans-inclusive shelters. 
why did you have to go after this one? And she ends up coming out and telling me to, she actually told me to fuck off. Um, it, it was on Twitter. It was, it was quite a moment. But it's just, it, it's really frustrating, I think, that, you know, it's not that you don't have to hate this group. And I actually, I've got a good friend of mine who transitioned as an adult. I've got a tremendous amount of admiration for what this individual did. I always said, you know what, transitioning was the, the path of most resistance. It was the hardest choice they could have made. And, uh, you know, just a wonderful person that made a very, very difficult choice and faced a lot of backlash for that choice. So I'm really torn about this. But it's extremely uh, frustrating when we're not even allowed to, to question, you know, and be, be critical of, of gender ideology and to raise honest concerns about safety and things like that. Uh, so I think that's the problem and that's the insidious part of this movement when you look at anti-hate network and how they do seem to target women's organizations, uh, you know, who are fighting for women's rights exclusively. You know, that's the insidious part is that you end up getting this, this terrible collateral damage and things like what happened to this Vancouver rape shelter, which were just unspeakable what they went through. So, you know, that that's the, the dangerous part is, you know, it's almost like the organization has gone too far, they've gone awry, and unfortunately, they do do good work, and a lot of that good work is being lost in their desire to sort of, you know, relentlessly track people down and, and, and push their messaging through. And, you know, you see, uh, you know, collateral victims come out. Like a lot of people, I talked with somebody called Zine. A lot of people came out at Zine simply for associating with me. Most people don't know that Zine is a writer, and she's a writer that focuses almost exclusively on, on Pakistani women's rights and forced Islamic conversions in, in Pakistan. And the backlash that she got simply for associating with me was, was outrageous. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a huge problem when you look at, and almost this, it's not just anti-hate network. And the other problem is that these organizations have our government's ears. When you look at meetings on, you know, anti-hate laws, uh, censorship laws, all of these groups are in with Pablo Rodriguez. They're all getting federal funding. Uh, you know, it, it's almost impossible to track down. I think at Pablo's last meeting, I tracked down, he met with 10 people, nine of these groups that were sort of consulting on, on internet laws and anti-hate laws ended up receiving federal funding. Uh, the only one that didn't was a, a Jewish uh, organization that was against anti-Semitism. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's a really, really scary movement when you're not even allowed to, to question things anymore. And even if you ask questions, very reasonable questions, and like I said, I'm, you know, I have no problem with adults transitioning. I think that the big problem has come out when, you know, we see children. I think that that's when all sort of the, you know, the huge controversy started is, you know, are children allowed to sort of make these sort of lifelong determinations? And that's a very reasonable question to, to ask, right? When you look at the lifelong repercussions to, you know, you, you don't have to be a hater to, to be curious about this. Um, and, you know, when you look at people like Billboard Chris, Billboard Chris is out there educating people on puberty blockers. Well, I mean, he got, I met Billboard Chris when he got, he got beat up in Toronto. Uh, you know, just for walking around with a billboard on him saying, would you like to learn about puberty blockers? Um, can I tell you about them, right? So, you know, the, the backlash that's coming out is unreal and, you know, that it's federally funded and it's being completely overlooked. The dangers of, of this, you know, the dangers of these organizations and sort of the, 
the polarization that they're creating is, is being completely ignored and blindsided by our government. And that's sort of the, the underbelly and the really scary part about all this. They certainly do have a lot of power and they do uh, have the ear of all the important people. And, and as regards to women's sex-based rights, you know, and, and so, so many of the policies that are happening right now uh, that are being done uh, behind closed doors that are being done without consultation with the Canadian public, we really do have a uni party because um, not even the conservatives are pushing back against this. Uh, you know, uh, uh, any any of the gender identity stuff because they're so frightened of being called hateful bigots, they're not allowed to question it. So not only are the people not allowed to question, but neither are the elected officials allowed to question it. And uh, one of the most striking examples of that recently is Bill uh, C-4, which is the uh, um, conversion therapy ban bill, which is basically um, was uh, pushed through as a Trojan horse to get gender identity uh, in, into the legislation. Virtually every commentator uh, everyone in our network, certainly, and anyone who's spoken publicly about about this agrees that, you know, conversion therapy for sexual orientation is deeply wrong and and evil and it's very hurtful. Uh, but uh, all we were asking for and many and, and I might add that. Um, that piece of legislation was possibly the legislation that received the, mo the, 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 the most uh, feedback from the public in, in terms of numbers of briefs received about it. And most of them were questioning um, the flawed um, legislation. Um, but we just wanted to be able to have the conversation that says, you know, you should really think about separating out sexual identity from uh, sexual orientation from gender identity, because gender identity, there's, it's not just, you know, um, a, a single, uh, you know, homogenous group of people who are uh, suffering uh, from gender dysphoria and, and, and gender issues. It's a very diverse group, everything from um, uh, young girls that are really um, having trouble with puberty and accepting womanhood because they were, you know, sexually abused as children, all the way up to, you know, the 50-year-old autogynephilic man who suddenly wants to have his kinks out in the open. I mean, it's just such a huge thing. And all we were saying, we submitted a brief, uh, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, that uh, talked uh, particularly about teen girls and, and the fact that many of them um, have suffered trauma, do have body dysmorphia issues, many are undiagnosed um, autistic uh, girls, uh, they might have just very simple uh, mood disorders, and if you re re remove the ability to question and help them work through those, which would be now considered to be conversion therapy in this bill and, 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 and prohibited because you're trying to convince them that they might not be trans, um, because what you're wanting to do is get to the deeper root issue, um, that, you know, we just think that we should be able to have those conversations with those girls. And, and that, you know, it was completely disregarded. 
um, the detransitioners were disregarded during that. Um, they weren't even allowed to speak at committee. And um, Lisa Bildy of the uh, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms uh, used part of her time to do a, uh, to read a statement of detransitioners. And then uh, Randall Garrison, who was one of the sponsors, NDP uh, of the bill uh, in BC, uh, after Lisa spoke, said that he would have nothing of it and he would not be entertaining any arguments of detransitioners, which is a false narrative. You know, um, I mean... So, sorry, Lisa, I don't know yeah, how to put ahead. my hand up. I don't know oh, how to ahead. put my hand up, so I'm interrupting oh. you. No, go ahead um, and interrupt. Yep. Because you mentioned Randall Garrison, and I don't know if many people saw this whole thing that went on where... They had, they didn't allow D-Trans Canada to um, present to the Justice Committee. Um, they had Ken Zucker, James Cantor, I think, um, and Lisa Bildy did a great one. But then they chose to ignore everyone. And then do you remember the autogynephilic trans-identified male? I won't name names, but yes. they had this, this trans-identified male who before presenting had gone on a rant on Twitter saying, I'm going to, like, James, uh, Ken Zucker needs to be struck off and Lisa Littman as well. And there's no such thing as autogynephilia and there's no such thing as ROGD. And then we we did a, a search of his Twitter history and there are just like 50 tweets of him tweeting his masturbation habits to the world talking about, you know, very autogynephilic masturbation habits. There's a whole Twitter history. But Randall Garrison was all over this, like just fawning all over him, thanking him for his bravery, and then ignoring D-Trans Canada and all the rest of them. I was so furious. It was absolutely the, absurd. Uh, there's also the issue too, which I think is um, entirely ignored, which is that the medical transition is not always um, isn't is is not always effective. So there hasn't been research done. There hasn't been um, there haven't been any real studies done on the effectiveness of either surgeries or the medications or the downsides of, for example, the puberty blockers in terms of bone loss or in terms of cross sex hormones or any of that. So this is I, saying no. And also, of course, the conflation of trans and gay is completely false. Like, the, they don't really have anything to do with one another. Um, so saying that you have to go along with um, gender identity, you know, that gender identity journey or what have you, completely disregards the fact that medical science is uh, entirely imperfect in this area. There haven't been any studies it's subjecting someone to being a lifelong experimental mental um, medical patient. And that's not right to, that's not fair to those people. Mia is, is a little more up on this. Um, there have been some studies, there's more and more studies are coming out and, um, and Canada is going in the exact opposite direction of, of many other countries. So Mia, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. Well, the evidence obviously is mounting against Certainly, well, pediatric medical transition entirely. Puberty blockers did not work out how they thought that they would work out. So they really did intend for them to be a pause to give the child time to figure out. But it turns out that puberty is quite likely 
what helps resolve the gender dysphoria because most children will go through if left without medically transitioning them they will go through puberty and the gender dysphoria will resolve so i think puberty might be the cure so when you block puberty you block the cure because I think almost 100% of children put on blockers go on to take cross-sex hormones. So you can see that you've blocked the cure right there. Most of them should desist if you weren't, if if it were working out how you intended. So the evidence is mounting the harm of puberty blockers. We're seeing more and more with bone density, brain development, all the rest of it. Uh, the harm of cross-sex hormones, we barely have any idea. We know testosterone is very hard on the female body we know um, estrogen can be very difficult for men so uh, most of the well sweden finland france and definitely england is going to follow um, very soon they are moving into the um, more psychotherapeutic approach whereas ontario has bill 17 sitting i think at second reading still which is it's a bill, it's a gender-affirming healthcare bill, and they basically want to implement something called the informed consent model of care. And all that means is uh, you take out the mental health professionals entirely, and the person just, it's transition on demand. You just sign a consent form to say you understand the risks of the treatment or whatever, and you're off on, on your medical transition journey. Nova Scotia has a similar one that is has been proposed. I don't think it's got very far yet. So yeah, Canada's heading in the complete opposite direction of the, all of these other nations that have put the, the, the practice of pediatric medical transition under scrutiny. And as soon as you put it under scrutiny, there's only one direction you can go in, but Canada's just ignoring all of that. Yes. And um, it is almost as if uh, Canada is just living in a bubble, and any any one that is uh, responsible and charged with making this policy is is not. They don't even appear to be aware of what's going on internationally. It's it's really quite astonishing uh, that you know it's it's very we're very insular here, or the people at, at that level are very insular and and not. And are they are they not paying attention, or are they just refusing uh, to see it and to listen to it? I I don't know. Um, I think um, I I really enjoyed when Helen Joyce got into this in her book, kind of the reasons that this gender critical movement did so well in the UK and why it might be more difficult in somewhere like Canada. And a big part of it was geographical that organizing across Canada isn't as easy. Um, here and you know the same for in terms of the gender clinics they're they're going to be more spread out here that's it they have one gender clinic for England Wales and I think even Northern Ireland maybe Scotland has its own but when you're only targeting one clinic it's much easier we've got god knows how many yeah and it was like that in um, in Sweden too when their main clinic stopped using puberty blockers in youth it, they, that was the clinic for the entire country yeah that's it but to, to me it's willful at this point everyone in canada mm. who is ignoring what's going on in the rest of the world they are doing it willfully there's no possible way that they that they don't know they're choosing not to see it and that's yeah. unforgivable the politicians for sure i i won't <laughs> forgive them for what they've done in the U.S., our our primary leaders, uh, Biden and his whole crew, 
are very pro gender affirmation. Biden actually gave a, an address on um, Transgender Awareness Day, encouraging parents to affirm their children. And he said that outright. His entire administration has said that over and over. They claim that the law in Florida, the Parental Rights and Education Bill, that is essentially meant to protect children from activist teachers in very low grades, K through three. Um, they say Pete Buttigieg went on TV. He's the transportation secretary here. He's with the administration. He said that um, uh, it would kill people, that it would kill children. And they're really using this. Um, they're using their position to claim that children are going to be committing suicide. And when that yeah. doesn't go over, then they say that people are going to be gay bashed instead. Um, but with the situation with private health care, which is different here than what you guys have and also, you know, different than the UK has, gender clinics are a huge business. It's a massive industry and you can get insurance to cover it and they'll cover thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of this stuff. So, you know, gender industry is a booming business. You have surgeons, I think, what's your name, Joanna Olson Kennedy in California who actually was the, the trans-affirming doctor that treated the Disney executive's child, one of the Disney executives who came out and was speaking about her um, trans child, was treated for like more than seven years so far by Kennedy, who, or Olson Kennedy, who said that if you chop your breasts off, I'm pretty sure it was her, and then want them later, you can just get new ones. So there's a complete that disregard was her. for the yeah, yeah, there's a complete disregard for the sanctity of the human body and Absolutely. for and for young people. And it's a it's a, yep. it's a experimental, it's profit driven here. Um, it's very disturbing. And you have anybody who goes against it. We have a lot of conservative politicians who are opposing uh, gender affirmation and all of that kind of stuff. And they're just being roundly decried as, you know, Nazis and racists and homophobes and whatever else, you know, pick your nasty slur. Yeah, it's becoming that that's not uh, going to be effective for very much longer because they've so overplayed that their hand with these slurs that um, it just sort of rolls off your back if you're anybody who's speaking out against it. But unfortunately, there's that, you know, um, moderate, uh, squishy middle center of uh of society that really does not want to be called any of those names. And so they, they, you know, this is a compelling reason for them to not speak up. Um, I want to get back to rain. You've had, had your hand up for a while. Hey, uh, I have a couple of things. So to Mia's point about the whole, the informed consent thing in Canada, um, I hope my friend forgives me for this. I actually know a woman who was basically, um, she'd been 5150 essentially on mental health and they still took her out for her, uh, for her hysterectomy, her full hysterectomy. So <clears throat> informed consent already doesn't exist, and this was a while ago. Um, uh, there's that. Um, Can you explain what 5150 means? Oh, sorry, that's a mental health hold. It's a mandatory 72-hour mental health hold. Uh, Amy will have to correct me if that is incorrect. I know that it's when you are, um, you're held in a hospital uh, at, because you're at risk of harming yourself. Um, and so she was actually in hospital um, at the time, and she was taken out um, from the hospital because of her... Uh, because of the surgery that they wanted her to consent to. <clears throat> and uh, now she has since detransitioned, by the way, and um, is dealing with a whole bunch of that fallout. Um, second, the 
uh, ROGD, so the rapid onset gender dysphoria was actually vindicated in 2019, I think. So it was actually proved to be correct. So Lisa Littman was right. Surprise. And um, regarding Pete Buttigieg, um, that guy doesn't care about women. He, like, exploits women's bodies by buying babies from them. And, like, that's, yeah, a whole other bag of cats but yeah just so yeah we could have a there. we could have a whole space on that <laughs> one day couldn't we <laughs> oh god of course we could but like the, yeah. the thing is like these problems are already here these problems are already like and another thing about the whole the slurring thing like if you call literally everybody you disagree with a nazi the term nazi doesn't mean anything anymore if you call everything you did that makes hurts your feelings hatred then it's going to be impossible to actually address hatred in the real way like nazis are actually bad news and to call women who are fighting for women's only spaces Nazis completely dilutes the actual damage that those bastards did. They murdered people and women are being accused of harming this small, by the way, group. And like, I mean, trans women particularly, so I trans identified men are the safest demographic on the planet. Um, just by numbers, they there's all these like this epidemic of of violence against the trans community. And I think it was Elizabeth, oh, what's her name? The blonde woman in America, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. Um, she spoke at a, uh, in, their, uh, in their Senate, I believe, and uh, basically listed the names of every single trans person that was murdered that year. There were 18 of them and that was the epidemic. Like a woman is murdered in Mexico, um, or 10 women in mur are, are murdered in Mexico every day by men. Uh, a woman in Canada is murdered every, I think it's like, it's 36 hour every, no, every two and a half days in the States. Like women die every day by the dozens. And for us to be accused of being the same as Nazis because we're allegedly perpetrating all this violence and if we're not directly perpetrating it, we're enabling it by having opinions and trying to protect kids and then we're called right wing. I'm a lifelong socialist. My parents hate it about me. They loathe that I am, that I have the politics that I do. And to be called a Nazi is incredibly offensive, but also just laughable. Anyway, that's my, that's all I have to say. Yeah, far, far right is, is thrown around a lot, you know, and uh, especially against uh, women who are advocating for women's sex-based rights. Somehow that makes us far right when many of us are, you know, have always voted NDP, liberal, you name it, and now consider ourselves to be politically homeless because um, we cannot trust any uh, party or politician that will not uh, acknowledge what a woman is and that w that sex is real and it's consequential. Yeah, the, um, this last election was the very first one since I turned 18. When I turned 18, there was an election and I was stoked and I voted in every single election that I've been able to. This last federal election, the one that cost $650 million and did nothing, um, I didn't vote because I literally couldn't. I'm not going to vote conservative because I disagree with them fundamentally. I can't vote liberal. They wouldn't win in Alberta. I can't vote NDP. I can't vote like Green Party. Like I can't vote unless I'm voting against myself in a number of ways. Yeah, it's a it really is a uh, a very difficult situation in Canada and and one that um is is not really understood by our sisters around the world about what's going on in Canada like they they really can't understand uh, uh the you know unique situation that we're in here where we have absolutely nobody speaking up for us uh in the house of there there's not a single MP in the Canadian House of Parliament uh 
House of Commons that will stand up and state accurately what a woman is. Not a single one. And I think, I think this makes us unique in the world. So I do see a hand and I think it might be time to start opening up the floor. It's now, we've been at it for like an hour and 20 minutes and it seems like um, we have some people who'd like to, to speak. So I'm gonna start handing out some mics. Um, let's see who we've got here. We've got um, Daniel Boardman. Uh, so Daniel, go ahead. Hi, uh, great space, um, you know, turf, turf life matters and all that. Um, I just want to share my experience with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network because we focus a lot on the gender critical stuff and I'm totally with you, but um, they, they do it a lot across the board in a lot of other groups. Um, back in the day, uh, the rabbi from my grandmother's synagogue called me in a panic because uh, Bernie Farber and Michael Corrin were coordinating to threaten the synagogue for hosting a conference. Uh, this conference was one to discuss extremism, and the conference did label itself as extremism, the rise against the rising tide of extremism from the radical right, the radical left, and Islamist extremists. So it covered all three, and it was hosted at a synagogue. And of course, Bernie Farber went at this as this is far right, and it's Islamophobic, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and, you know, he called me over because he knew I would cover it. So I spoke with the rabbi, and I, and I got it out. Uh, and this long story short is Michael Corrin, in coordination with Bernie Farber, did work to put out a story in Now Magazine, which named the synagogue, showed a picture of it, um, and then accused it of Islamophobia and all these different things, resulting in a series of death threats and bomb threats to the synagogue, which which forced them to get the police in and then the, the security costs would be astronomical. So they then had to cancel the conference because of all of this. Um, and, you know, this is the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, and the leader of it is allowed to go on CBC Radio as a representative of the Jewish community after he had worked to, you know, threaten a rabbi and work to enable a situation in which a synagogue in Toronto got massive death threats. So there's that. And, you know, the last comment I'll add is I think we kind of beat around the bush and it was uh, with their relationship with government. Like, I'll be the one to willing to just call it out. I mean, they're an arm of the Liberal Party and the establishment. This is clearly a financially beneficial um, you know, relationship for the both of them. They come in as independent experts, and they just happen to find what the Liberal Party wants them to find. And it justifies liberal policy from a quote-unquote independent perspective, um, which you know focuses on the communities and narratives they want them to focus on. So I think this relationship with the government is they do the government's work and they get paid to be independent, but the 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 independence is basically a a commitment to the narrative they want to put out there. So my, my thing is I've seen yes I've seen this the attacks against feminists they're totally real I'm with you guys but they attack every other community too. I could find some Hindu friends who have stories about, you know, Hindu stuff, you know, the Jewish community, of course, but their, their, their discrimination does not end just at women. It goes way beyond that. Yeah. And I'm glad that you, you brought that up because uh, it seems to be that uh, this Canadian anti-hate network was set up for the purpose of <clears throat> lining people up so that when the new online censorship bills and so on come in, they will already have established a bunch of groups that are not willing to go along blindly with the liberal narrative and that they'll, they'll just say, look, we've already proven that there's a hate group. I mean, our organization is bracing ourselves for, for that uh, eventuality, in fact, and that we're like, well, what, what happens when we don't have any social media? What happens when they take down our website? 
for stating facts, for stating facts, you know, exactly, exactly. you're hundred percent right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we, I'm totally with you on that. And we, and we feel it's the same thing too. It, it, it purports to be arm's length, but it really is, you know, just another department. Um, and you know, the heritage, uh, like, I guess it was Stephen Gilbo that would have, um, that would have put his um, benediction on this and uh, and got it got this going. I think he was the what was he the heritage minister at the time and um, you know we know we know all about Gilbo so um, it's it's all, they're all very cozy and thanks for that Daniel. Um, let's go with respect my sex. Hi there. Uh, hello. Yeah, sorry about my voice. I uh, have COVID at the moment. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Uh, anyway, take care. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah, thanks. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, you guys were talking about how uh, Canada and the UK had very different responses to this gender ideology stuff. And I just wanted to say, <clears throat> sorry, that uh, I live in New Zealand. And a part of me was like really scared to, to say anything about that because, you know, doxing and stuff. But <clears throat> literally no one is talking about it in New Zealand. It's actually really scary. Um, I've literally, all of the crazy TikTok people, seen them in real life. Like, most of the places I've been to in the city had one bathroom. Um, it's pushed, and in my university, um, literally everywhere I go, I'm, I'm fed gender ideology bullshit. And there's absolutely no room, no room to, to even talk about it. Because the second you say anything that's slightly rational, I mean, I could, I, I risk, you know, being ostracized or even, I don't even, I, I could be, I could be removed from my uni. And that seems crazy. But if you just look at everything that's happening around the world and then look at how New Zealand is handling things, I don't think it's that crazy. And it's just, I think it, it, it stems from, from geography, similar to Canada, where it's just, everyone's so spread out that it, it's it's practically impossible to organize and it's just oh it's so terrible like how how are we supposed to go about combating this if no one can uh, can organize in groups it's it's just it's very it's very complicated very difficult you you, you also have the same uh, difficult that, difficulty that we have in that you have a super woke prime minister oh god yeah oh my god <laughs> And, and the thing is, like, our population is so small, but it's so incredibly spread out. Like, there are no places, like, like I live in the biggest city, and, yeah, there's, there's like, no room for, for, for anything. It, it's, it's, it's so So I stand hard. corrected. So you don't have any elected official that will speak out against, um, speak None. up for women's sex-based rights? None that I've seen, no. Okay, and, um, so we're, we're birds of a feather. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be like my first time voting, and I have no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I it's, think, it's 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 a really it's, difficult situation because oh you don't want to stay home on election day. I, I will hmm. never stay home on election day because our foremothers fought so hard for us uh, mm -hmm. to get the vote. I mean, I just refuse to be silenced in that manner. And in Canada, we don't, as far as I know, because anybody can correct me if I'm wrong, they don't. Uh, count spoiled ballots right so I'm going to I'm going to be voting and uh, it may you know often it, you know the last two times it was basically a protest vote uh, against the big three 
parties uh, because I'm not going to stay home on election day. I just refuse. Yeah, I was thinking about doing maybe the same thing. But yeah, I think I, I want to... Um, God, it's just so frustrating because I really want to, like, I want to be a voice, um, not only when voting, but, like, you know, just online and in person and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm just, I'm so scared. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. But I think it would be all right if I sent messages to MPs and just try to find out if there was anyone that was being rational. Not that I think anyone there is. I believe there are women's organizations in New Zealand are, that are, you know, one, promoting women's sex-based rights. Have you connected with them? Yeah, I have, yeah. and there's nothing going on because the one time, oh, the two times they've tried to organize things, they were immediately shut down. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately aware of that. Like, uh, I think they did when uh, they did go and the parliament about um, some legislation, and I think they they um, they won that. Um, I think they prevented a, a bill from being passed, but um, it was just like a small group of women, so it, it's kind of impressive. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, you you have to do it underground. That's that's yeah, what it, we're finding um, because uh, because of the risks, because of the the, the threat to our lives, the the rape so threats, cool. the the no, threats no. of loss of livelihood. Um, we're 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 meeting. In private, we're we're you know we're we're being underground about it, and this is and in 2022. Women forced to go underground to defend yeah, their that's, rights. Uh, that's kind of what yeah. I want to do, and, and I, that's kind of why I started this account. Um, and now like it's it started. Uh, like I've been getting like 10 followers a day, and I, I've almost had it for a week or something. So it's it's growing pretty fast. And then, you know, like now I have a tweet that has like 300 likes, and I'm getting like quite a few followers and now I'm like okay that's cool Good. that's cool and Good. and now I'm kind of scared because that also means that I'm I'm like mentally preparing myself all the time for like a rape and death threat yeah um, you just have to protect yourself as best as you can stay anonymous and just make make your alliances behind the scenes and just mm -hmm. just be smart and, and about it and not you know take any too many risks because you just have to you know protect yourself and uh, do the work you know, so yeah, thank absolutely. you so much for speaking up. I want to get to some other hands. Uh, yeah, Hi. thank thank you for speaking. I really appreciate it. Uh, let's go to uh, uh, Mrs. Doubtfizer. Are you able to uh, hear me now? And is your mic working? Right. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh. Okay, let's go with David first, yeah. and we'll go to Mrs. Doubtfizer. Hi, David. Hi. Um, it's fantastic conversation. Um, so I just, I, I just. I, I don't want to invade it. I have one quick question, right? Like, I write for the New York Post. I write for Fox News. I want to, you know, push this issue. You know, it's a hard one to do. How do you, how do you guys think I, I, I ought to be pitching this? Like, you know. Specifically, which issue? I don't know. I mean, look. It's all, everything has now come into the public policy space, right? Now we've got, you know, men and women's sports. We've got set-aside programs that are for women architects. Like, I don't know, are you a woman architect, right? Like, all of these things. The Democrats know this. What do you guys think is the most effective way to approach this issue? That, that's what I'm looking for. 
Well, in the United States, there's the Women's Liberation Front that's doing amazing work. Um, there's the Women's Declaration. Um, and so that's uh, Kara Dansky, who you may have seen. She appears very often on Fox News and other uh, conservative outlets because the progressive or, yeah, or left-wing. Yes, no, I know. Yeah. I'm always the only man at all of these events. I'm saying, tell me how to pitch this. Tell me how to make this thing get out there. That's what I'm asking, right? Well, I, I think that you, you can come at it from many different, you know, angles. And we have identified at Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights seven issues uh, that uh, affect women negatively when sex and gender identity are conflated. So I'll put that up in the, uh, in the nest here, and that may... Uh, spark some ideas for you for for pitching story ideas because um, uh, it's it's not just bathrooms and it's not just sports it really it deeply affects when you cannot define woman you can't defend women's rights when males can identify into the female sex class for the purposes of law and policy then those rights cease to exist that's it that's it right that's it. This has been yeah. a long game by the Democrats in the United States, right? And I understand Canada's different, but it's a long game. And I said, no, this is trans dignity. These, these are, these are, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. And I appreciate and, and, and we, we, we also like to point out, David, that as we are pro women and children, but that doesn't mean that we are denigrating any other groups uh, in fact, um, many of us are gender abolitionists, so to speak, in that we what feel that... You're gender, you're, are you a gender abolitionist? Well, uh, uh, let me explain what I mean. I, I'm, I might not be personally, but, but the concept is this, is that gender is harmful. The concept of gender, the concept of gender really is sexual stereotypes. So when a, when a male feels like a woman... What does that mean? It means yeah, that yeah, it's some concept yes. of what woman womanhood is in his head, no, right? That's, and that's, it's that's all that's always been true, right? Right. I mean, the first piece I ever wrote about this, I wrote in 2013, you know, with a co-author, uh, you know, who's on this chat, and, and I said, this is this this is the absolute sexualization of the concept of womanhood. Of course, it is, right? Of course, that's what it is. When so the you little get it. boy, when 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 the little boy, uh, you know, who's 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 you know doing his drag queen thing, you know, struts on the stage on ABC, right? On on, on a national network, we all know what that is, right? That's not that's not some secret, right? Right, and so if you speak up about that, you are in danger. Of being called, um, you know, uh, yeah, a no, bigot. No, no, no. no right? But, wait, but what? But, but what was the thing you just said about like? I mean, are gender stereotypes gender? I mean, are, are are we basing this on biological sex or aren't we? No, they want to completely um, no, uh, remove. You. Oh, me, us, the gender critical movement. Yes. Uh, the gender critical movement says that sex is real and consequential and that gender identity 
or an expression should not override our sex-based rights. Okay. That, that sex segregation has uh, been uh, instituted in law and public policy for very good reason. And that good men agree with our stance that males should not be, males of any so-called gender identity should not be in women's spaces because we know that not all men but we do know that the vast majority of sexual um, uh, violence is perpetrated male on female, right? So um, that you, you and, and, and good men know what bad men are capable of. And yeah, also, so also, they agree with us. Want to, want to be able to leave the dirty dishes on the counter. I don't know. Yes. yes. It's got nothing... What we're talking about is not, you know, male-female relationships, interrelationships. We're really talking about law and public policy. How people want to organize their personal lives yes. is totally and up to them. And, and, and that, right? and, and, and isn't and isn't that where all of this rubber meets the road, right? The Democrats want to say trans dignity. I'm you're a bigot if you support the Florida law. I've got issues with the Florida law, right? As a conservative, I don't love the state, you know, infusing itself into local school board policy, but we didn't have any choice. I mean, that's, that's where we are. That, that's the big debate right now on the right. It really is. Well, I, I'm seeing it more and more when going into spaces where what I've been trying to do <clears throat> over about the last six months is because when you're in a movement, you, you end up being, you know, siloed in these echo chambers and so on. And we all agree and we're all strategizing and everything. But the point is, is that we have to get outside of those echo chambers and talk to our natural allies. And many, many, it's not just social conservatives. I mean, right across the board, what I'm seeing is that everybody wants to talk about what's going on right now in this, you know, uh, imposition of gender identity ideology into society and schools and everywhere else. Because people, while they don't really understand exactly, you know, what's going on and the extent of it, they have a very deep feeling that there's something wrong. Like they know in their gut, like, this is just not good for society. It's not good for kids. It's not good for families. And that, you know, we should be allowed to talk about it and we shouldn't be silenced. And I think that's really important. That's why spaces like this are important as well, because there's a lot of cross-pollinization of different um, communities coming together I'll, to I'll, talk about things. I'll, I'll check off now as the uh, cis white guy or whatever but i'm really i'm really i'm really glad you guys are having this conversation thanks thanks for well, letting me yeah. be a part of it thank you thanks for your your yeah. uh reflections um okay so now we'll go to mrs doubtfizer hi how are you doing i am well how are you today great excellent show excellent uh with you i think that, that what you're doing lisa with bringing in andy lee and um, your other partners and whatnot, uh, to draw information out and to bring light to the situation, to what, what we're facing, what women are facing. We've fought so, I mean, I guess our, not I haven't fought, but, you know, women, women before us have fought and gotten us um, several rights that we didn't have 70 years ago. Um, 
and to see it kind of all getting diluted is is such a travesty and so you're you know having rooms like this on i hope you do it on a regular basis because honestly it's that's how we're going to get the word out that's how um people will start to understand and and maybe question and and to me it's um there's one simple question that the world doesn't want to look at and the question is why (laughs) or maybe you could say how come you know why why is it not okay for me for instance to not choose to buy into pronouns um instead if i don't have pronouns like it especially in workplaces that are getting into this political correct nonsense um i, I don't I, I, I don't feel the need to try to capture pronouns uh miss mrs mister uh that's a good enough pronoun for me so uh, when when the crazy making the crazy making has to settle down in order for everybody to have a normal conversation and and come to agreements that um i I don't know it's anyways i could go on but i just wanted to say thank you um your wisdom your knowledge uh is just phenomenal and please keep doing these rooms. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mrs. Doubtfizer. It's always great talking with you. Um, let's go to GJ. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Um, there were two things, actually, I wanted to respond to. Um, one was, uh, obviously, one was earlier in the space, Mia was talking about pre-beauty blockers generally. I mean, how, how absurd, uh, like, where are we as a society that we even, like, entertain arresting the, the natural development and maturation of kids? And uh, just the notion that we could, like, uh, even that we have the notion that having a child uh, stunted while all, all of their peers develop won't be, you know, deranging for them and whatnot. Uh, like, there's that point as well. Like, how, how can it not be just totally isolating and, and contribute even more to their mental health? So not only is their natural natural development uh, likely to resolve whatever issues they're, they're, they're mentally, you know, suffering from, Um yeah, the the notion that we're doing it is an atrocity uh, in the first place. Um, so that was one point I just had to had to say. The other thing is, um, uh, and I think it's Andy Lee. I don't, I, uh, yes, Andy Lee uh, was mentioning before. I mean, I am done honestly with hearing sob stories of, you know, men who after so long had to, you know, they they just knew that uh, of course, uh, ca- like uh, indulging their own castration fetish was what saved them. I mean. We have to keep. There is no separating this issue between children and adults at a certain at a, at a certain level. Obviously, like we could protect children for its own sake, uh, so we could kind of separate on that front. But um, uh, uh, just in terms of principle, like I'm sorry, but um, there is, there is no difference, and we should like just be extremely you know hardline to my mind on you know not having the records changed of course like you can't change your your sex legally that's insane that we've allowed that in the first place they we can't um uh, yeah and obviously women's faces and it's just it's just not having them like regardless of what you know is a, happens to be illegal um plastic surgery that they're able to uh, engage in not having them considered women in any way in lifelong language that like, that that needs to be upheld so um yeah the, that's what I want to say. I see Andy Lee has her hand up. She might want to respond to that. But um, yeah, I don't think that uh, the, it, from the start, I just want to say that it was experimental from the start. It was retroactively given validation in 
you know, some psycho psychological sphere that uh, it was never proven. It, it never went through the proper channels of, you know, double blind testing or whatnot. And uh, with, with, um, uh, control groups uh, and you know uh, better than the placebo effect so all these interventions are really on a house it's a total it's a total house of cards the notion of gender identity and um and the uh, the medical interventions that go along with it so yeah that's what i want to say thanks thanks gj andy would you like to respond yeah yeah i would um yeah and, you know I, I, that's fine that the feedback's good you know i i've always said i don't have a monopoly on truth right we, we all have our own opinions and and, you know, we find our own truth. I guess, you know, my, my main concern is, is children, uh, you know, and, and immature people making lifelong decisions that could impact them down the road negatively. I think a, a lot of the big problem is that when we've sort of opened up the floodgates to self-ID, there's no indicators as to, you know, are you sort of, somebody who genuinely you know is is experiencing a crisis and, and needs to transition and sorry i'm not as good at, at gender ideology maybe i need correction from the people who know more about it you're doing great <laughs> i think the problem is that you know when we've opened up the floodgates to just self-id there's there's no indicators there's no standard of measurement as to you know whether this is is legitimate and genuine or whether it's maybe something that's uh, psychological that should be addressed with counseling first, or maybe, you know, it, it is something that could be just being abused down the road, um, you know, when you look at women's prisons and things like that. So I think that's the, that's the big problem is that, you know, we, we've got this sort of this ability to just call ourselves whatever we like, and there's really no standard of measurement or, or indicators saying that that's true or false. Um, and I do think that, you know, as an adult, you have the right to self-determination. You have the right to bodily autonomy. You can make your own medical decisions. And if your decision is, is to transition, uh, and like I said, I, I've got a friend who transitioned. It was an extremely taxing process on them. I have a lot of respect. I would have no problem sharing my spaces with this person. Um, but then, you know, I still have a lot of reservations over, you know, certain laws and, and policy that say that anybody is allowed to just go and do this when there's no indicators that they're on the same level as, you know, what my friend did. So it, it, it's, it's an impossible question. You know, it, I don't have the answers. I don't, I wish I could say, yes, this is, you know, it's black and white and this is the right thing to do. I don't know. It's really, really hard. But the most important thing is that we're seeing is that we're being told that we can't even talk about it. So we need to be able to talk about it and to talk about it maturely and to talk about it respectfully to, you know, to find the right answer and, and to come up to it. And it's not up to one group to say that this is the right answer. It has to be done in collaboration so that everybody is comfortable with the outcomes. So I hope that that just sort of, you know, addresses that. And thank you, everybody. We can move on. Well, I just want to say brava to that because um, that's really all we're asking for. We're just asking for a seat at the table to be able to ask questions and to be able to get accountability from the policymakers and the legislators as to have you really considered this. And I should point out that the uh, when the Liberal government came in uh, in 2015, they promised that they would do a gender-based analysis on every piece of legislation. So, and it was a gender-based analysis plus. So they would take an intersectional 
view of um, you know gender, race, and everything else, and um, to to analyze how how legislation would impact each one of these um, uh, protected um, uh, characteristics. And um, so they passed Bill C-16, which brought gender identity and gender expression into the Canadian Human Rights Act and the Criminal Code. And um, and it wasn't until, um, you know, and there were many uh, 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 feminists and, and other commentators who, for various reasons, uh, questioned that piece of legislation. Everyone from, you know, Jordan Peterson, um, uh, bringing up the fact that this was compelled speech uh, in terms of making people use pronouns that may not reflect uh, material bio biological reality to, you know, Megan Murphy, um, you know, both of whom uh, gave testimony at the Senate hearings. Uh, and Megan talked about, you know, the feminist view and, you know, the radical feminist view of, you know, uh, sex-based rights. Um, that all of, all of these you know, people who question the legislation uh, were uh, disregarded. And uh, if you watch the, those Senate hearings, they're pretty atrocious because the senators really uh, did not even want to entertain their questions. I mean, they asked really stupid questions and they, and they, you know, at times made insults and so on. Uh, and then, so it was passed. It was, it was, it was a fait accompli, that legislation. From the moment it was proposed as a bill, that was going through no matter what. So they did it. And then so, uh, and then by, you know, 2019 was when um, uh, Jessica Yaniv was, you know, asking uh, immigrant women uh, to wax his balls. And, um, and so that's when it really blew up. That's that was really the inciting incident for Canadian women's sex-based rights because what 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 we had warned about, what so many uh, women had warned about, was coming to pass, and um, so we started forming and we started organizing. And we started getting, um, starting asking questions, and one of the questions we started asking was, um, "Where's the gender-based analysis for Bill C-16?" And so um, no, no questions were forthcoming. And so uh, one of the women in our network uh, put forth a parliamentary uh, petition to, to have that uh, answered. Uh, Barbara Kay for the National Post wrote, wrote a story on this uh, because what had happened when, when uh, several women had submitted ATIPs, ask, access to information requests, uh, what came back finally after months, and 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 women are still digging for this too, but but not having any luck. What came back about why, where is the gender-based analysis for Bill C-16? The answer that came back was cabinet confidentiality. And so this is the most important piece of legislation for women in Canada since. I don't know what, I don't know what to compare it to, but it's, it's a massive because it affects the definition of woman for the purposes of law and public policy. And they would not allow the public to see their deliberations. Okay. So this is a government that had um, campaigned on transparency. And so they're using it again, as we see this, uh, this concept of, no, you can't see it, cabinet confidentiality with the Emergency Measures Act as well. They're claiming that. And I don't know, before we go to Hans, um, 
uh, Andy, do you, do you want to speak to that? Because, you know, you're, um, you were covering the truckers convoy and so on and the emergencies measure emergency measures act and this whole idea of cabinet confidentiality and their rationale. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, well, I mean, for the most transparent government ever, we, we sure don't get a lot of answers sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, tremendously frustrating, yeah, to, to see that, um, you know, and like, like I said, I'm not a, a gender ideology specialist or anything. I'm not a specialist of any sort of all personal. I, I follow the money, uh, you know, and I look for sort of hidden agendas and that. That's sort of what I do. So, uh, you know, it, it was a troubling piece of legislation. It, it was, you know, sort of foreseen to have opened a can of worms. It certainly did. Uh, you know, we saw some troubling things. Uh, there was a man out in British Columbia. I apologize to everybody. I'm driving right now, so I can't reference the, the article. But we did see the, the man out in British Columbia who was arrested uh, for pushing back against uh, gender ideology. Uh, you know, not wanting uh, his, you know, his his um, daughter, I believe, to transition and ended up seeing jail time. So, you know, it's it sort of, and it's really taken away a lot of power of, of parenting. Uh, and we're not getting a lot of answers. So, you know, it's one thing to give a, one group of people a certain set of rights and, and protect those rights. And that's a good thing. But it's another thing to have it sort of overlap and trample on somebody else's rights. And I think that's the problem is that we're seeing that overlap. Um, you know, is there women-based violence? Uh, you know, absolutely. Is there violence against the, the trans community? Absolutely, right? They're also targets of violence. And, you know, so, but it just, it seems like when it comes to gender ideology, you know, it seems like only one group is really being consulted. And that's the group that's fighting for, you know, LGBTQ rights. Um, they're not really considering the women's rights um, and, and whether, you know, there's an overlap of, of rights and one person's is being infringed on in favor of another. And I think that's that's the big problem is how do we how do we coexist peacefully? And again, I think it might have to come down to, you know, there's a problem with self-IDing in that there's no indicators that when you self-ID that, you know, you're, you're actually even transitioning or in the process of transitioning. Right? Are you taking sex-based hormones? Do you intend on doing gender uh, reaffirmment surgery and things like that? You know, are are you actually committed to, you know, pursuing this all the way, or are you just saying, uh, you know, that that you're the opposite sex? And should that be should that be allowed legally to to be sustained, right, uh, in a legal determination? And when you look at public policy, you know, it, is that the precedent that we want to set? Because that's a pretty slippery slope. And yeah, C16 sort of opened up opened up the doors to this. And, uh, you know, I do think that we're seeing sort of a backsliding on, on women's rights uh, as as a result of it. So as a woman, it's, it's extremely troubling, you know, because again, you want to be respectful of another community that's also marginalized. Um, but, you know, do I also, you know, do I have a right to feel safe in my own space? Yeah, I should be able to to own that, right? I don't see why I have to recuse that in favor of somebody else's rights trumping mine. So I think that's the big problem. But again, I'm, I'm always open up. I'm, you know, just throwing stuff out there. Uh, I don't have a monopoly on, on, on the truth. And I don't have all the answers. So I'm always open to other people's suggestions. 
Well, I think what's important, though, is that we are having these conversations like we are able to have them and what we but but they're not happening at the highest levels that we're being shut out. And I think I think that's right. And I think you're asking all the right questions and you're thoughtfully considering it. And that's all that we want to be able to do with people is just present our 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 argument and uh, and have actually have actual fact based conversations that aren't just all about feels all the time you know because you know feels are nice but facts are awesome <laughs> so let's um i'm gonna go to um uh, mj who's had his hand up for a while then we'll go uh to daniel and then uh rain unless rain had a direct um uh comment on anything that that andy said i do actually okay go um, ahead as far as the trans movement being about rights, they aren't lacking any. Like nobody has ever been, nobody has ever, ever explained to me um, which rights they need that would involve them kneecapping women's rights. <clears throat> it's not them building um, their own spaces. It's them taking ours down. And I don't think I've ever met a feminist who wouldn't willingly donate to a space that was designed for people who were experiencing gender dysphoria to discuss their own issues. It's about invading women's spaces. Like if it's about, oh, I don't want to be murdered for being trans. Cool. You have the right not to be murdered. I don't want to be fired for wearing a dress. Cool. Your sex-based rights, which apply to both men and women, by the way, apply. You cannot be fired for being a man in a dress. If you are, then that is a violation of your sex-based rights. So there isn't a need for this trans rights movement except to do anything. It, like The only thing that it does is beat the shit out of women. It puts them in our spaces, it puts them in our prisons, which, quick note on that, by the way, Indigenous women represent 4% of the Canadian population. They represent over 40% of the imprisoned Canadian female population, and that number is 65% in Alberta. These are the women who are being directly harmed. The women who are in Vancouver Rape Relief who are trying to access that, they do uh, prostitution exit exiting outreach. They do street outreach. Like the number of homeless women in Canada who are Indigenous, who are women of colour, I mean, it's not you know, like white women are in fact are affected too, but like nobody has ever been able to successfully explain to me in any reasonable way which rights these people are missing that need to be protected by granting them access to women's spaces ever. That's it. Good rant. <laughs> I'm so mad about this. Ugh. Oh no. And and hey, anger is an energy and I, I like it when it's directed and it's I'm and it's intelligent like yours. Thank you. I'm very effective when I'm angry, which is when I get my letter writing done. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it is. It is a good good thing to do. Rain, um, sorry, I've been yeah, dropping go ahead. in and out for the Q and A, so I haven't heard everything. But I just heard Rain's um, lovely rant, and I, I also just wanted to add that in um, British Columbia, the children who are being trans are also disproportionately children in foster care. And in addition to that, as we know, the children in foster care are disproportionately Aboriginal children. So this is, an, you know, it's another way that gender identity ideology is harming Aboriginal people in Canada, both women and children. And yet the people who are trans rights activists go on and on and on about diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and intersectionalism, but they... I, I think they're willfully ignoring the fact that 
their own ideology is harming the very people that they claim to care so much about and kind of hold up in what I see as like a, a racist way as like this, these sacred people um, that they've infantilized. It's all very, it's all very horrible and ironic. That's all I wanted to add. Thanks, Amy. Um, MJ, thank you for your patience. Go ahead. I, of course, now that we've gone down this turn, I guess I'm going to have to follow that snake down that ladder and go and say, now, you know, then we, you know, if it's, what are the, what's going on? Now we're transitioning children, you know, you got all these different groups trying to attach themselves to the LGBTQ community. And the groups I'm talking about are those ones that are trying to rename themselves from being pedophiles, minor attracted persons ones. Now, the problem I have here is you got this transitioning on this thing here and you have these types of people over here. What the hell is going on in our society at the same time? Something seems very off. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. But, you know, you start to see threads of what's going on in this world and you're wondering what is going on. Well, yeah, you, you bring up a great point because um, the, the so-called minor attracted persons, which is the euphemism that they pedophiles are calling themselves, um, they are trying to uh, insert themselves into civil rights movements and they, they keep coming back, you know, like they get, they get, they get shut down and then they keep coming back to try and to try it again. And, and, and there's been a resurgence of it. Uh, on this platform, um, the official policy is to allow pedophiles to be able to uh, have uh, their profiles stated in their profiles that they're minor attracted. They've even got uh, the, um, the ages that they're attracted to and so on. There's a lot of questionable uh, uh, content that they share. And this was done as a policy that was supposed to be humane and, and would promote safeguarding because there's a theory that if you send pedophiles underground that they will offend. And so therefore providing a space for them and social media to be able to be open is a, a therapeutic way of getting them not to offend. And to me, this seems completely outrageous. This is, this is the backward thinking of, you know, wokeism uh, and, you know, the expert class, um, you know, parading around these be kind and let's, let's understand and give, you know, so there's just some things that are just wrong and need to be called out and need to be controlled, right? Everything is not all, always about... Um, being kind and um, and and also this idea in wokeism that oh that that seems counterintuitive but it's actually you know true you know they like to use that one as well and that somehow it's some kind of a sophisticated theory that maybe you might be too stupid to understand but this is we know best you know I mean there's a lot of that going around as well um, I would just add Liza I don't maybe people will say I'm being too kind here but when I see people talking about the minor attracted people and trying to be accepting and not forcing them underground, I actually still think that within the woke movement, it's only kind of a minority of these activists and woke people that actually think that. I 
I do think a lot of woke people actually don't have tolerance for um, explicit and outright pedophilia, thankfully. Um, I do think it's like a fringe and they try to gain momentum and, and attach themselves to movements. But um, yeah, I still don't think they've quite lost their minds to that extent that most people are not going along with this. Uh, I don't know if, if people... that's reassuring. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I I, think, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, I think just as a basic taboo of society, I think it's just, you know, I think, I hope you're right. I do hope you're right. So let's go to Hollywood. Hi, Hollywood. How are you doing? Hi, friends. What a great space. I'm so glad to hear you talking about this. I'm fans of many of you. Lots of great comments. Um, I want to toss a couple of things out there. You touched on the profit motive, and I think people really lose sight of how much money is involved in this. Um, I noticed that a lot of the social agendas, they actually come from the top, not so much organically from the bottom. And the billionaire class has a strangely vested interest in this topic. What is their true interest and their true motive in what's happening, for instance, with these medical procedures and the dollar value on every patient they gain? It's very suspicious to me why they're so actively interested and where's the where all the profits play in. And then um, also the, the redefinition of who's called a Nazi and a racist. To me, um, in the U.S., that's anybody who challenges the corporate agenda. So, for instance, I tend to be, um, I, I don't like the wars of the United States. And that means that I challenge the military industrial complex. And that's why the corporate press would call me a Nazi. Um, and so that's why uh, we all need to know this game so that you also can find who your allies are, because really anyone who challenges the corporate agenda is going to be labeled with these terms and shut down and stifled. Um, what it really seems to come down to is free speech, your free speech and everybody else's. And they like to use these purity tests to cancel all of us. But the reality is no one can really truly ever meet the purity test. And that's how they shut us down. Um, but I totally support uh, you guys finding finding ways to speak more. I love it. And I'm very interested in these conversations going underground. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. You always have great uh, reflections. And I totally agree with you about the profit motive. There is a predatory uh, corporatism going on here. And it very much is a top-down situation. There are some very... Uh, well, there are billionaires, billionaire uh, trans-identified males, autogonophiles, who have seeded uh, the movement with massive injections of money, uh, two of which are Jennifer Pritzker and um, uh, Martine Rothblatt. So look up those two people and you will quickly see that this is, uh, you know, the, 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 the TQ movement trans and queer movement is, is very much uh, a, uh, an astroturf movement. And, and th these are, and they are developing markets. They identified these markets as emerging markets for uh, pharmaceuticals. So if you get the kids early, you have them on 
drugs for life. You have them on the hormones for life. And then the extreme cosmetic surgery uh, market is massive. And we've seen there's the gender mapper who is, um, has been following the rise of gender clinics opening across North America. And if you look at the before and after maps from you know five years ago to now, five years ago there were just a few, now they're dotted all over the landscape. This is huge, huge business. Also, it's too bad Libby had to go, but she wrote an excellent Colette piece about the transhumanist movement, um, which yes. I highly recommend that people read. It's definitely tied into this. Yeah. And Jennifer Billack is one of the uh, early um, observers of this, and she made the connection. So um, transgenderism is a step to transhumanism. Um, step one is that you have to divorce uh people from their body, body disassociation, and how best to do that, just disassociate them from their sex, the most basic part of you being a, you know, an embodied being, um, and, uh, and that, you know, just, just get, get the kids confused, and, you know, get them, and uh, get them thinking of these, these thoughts, and uh, it's just, it's a step on, 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 on that path to transhumanism, which again is another you know, market that they're developing, essentially. Um, so let's, uh, I want to go to Hackett's, because MJ, you've got your hand up. I don't know who hit first, but Hackett's hasn't um, spoken yet. So hi, hi Hackett's. How are you? Hi. Um, great space. I just wanted to, to share an opinion I have um, about kind of this, I guess, loss of, identity that a lot of young people are having i think as adults and the father of two young men i think on some level we all have to take some some responsibility for this and some of it i think was driven by the media because if you said anything negative and it hurt someone's feelings you were you were felt to feel like shit even though what you spoke was your truth and i think maybe in the future if we educate ourselves more on what's going on, this kind of dysphoria of you can be anyone, you can be anything, and just educate ourselves so we can speak more intelligently without anger. And maybe when somebody says something, we stand up and we just say we don't agree. And if somebody gets upset, that's okay. People get upset all the time. It doesn't kill you. It will either make you rethink your your standing or you will not talk to them um but i think the idea of just keeping our mouths shut is kind of what got us here um i just wanted to share that thank you thank you hackett's it's so true i think now um if as a canadian you invoke uh free speech which it doesn't actually exist as a concept in canadian law we have something called free expression which is supposed to be different than free speech and i I, nobody's ever given me a, a really good explanation as to how the two differ. Um, but uh, we do have hate speech laws, which they don't have in the United States, which I think most of us understand that it, it can be useful. And the bar is set very, very high. But what's stopping any government from lowering that bar? And we're seeing that with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and these online censorship uh, laws that are in the works and so on. Um, but yeah, this idea, you know, of 
you know, it's the, not a government's job to make sure that you're not offended. You know, I, I think that um, I think that there needs to be more of that. And, and while, uh, you know, Canadians can agree to some extent that hate speech laws are maybe useful, but, you know, compelled speech is just crossing the line. And that's that's what we have now um, with Bill C-16. So um, we do need to be able to speak our minds. And uh, that's one of, that, that is a very foundational human right. If you can't speak your mind, um, that's really, that's a form of slavery, in my opinion. I think it was Daniel. Daniel and then uh, Larry, who hasn't spoken yet, and then we'll go back to MJ. So go ahead, Daniel. Hey, thanks. So I have, a, I have sort of a question in the form of uh, a theory that I've been banding around for a while. So forgive me if I'm going to exploit the emotional labor of those doctors assigned female at birth. But with, with the modern world we live in, like we all understand, you know, right-wing hatred um, towards whatever, in-group, out-group. But we live in a sort of, you know, left-wing dominated society culturally, which is fine. But we see increased hatred to sort of specific groups. So I've always looked at anti-Semitism uh, and especially on the left and said like, OK, why is, you know, why is there like this rising tide of anti-Semitism on the left? And, you know, the theory I've sort of banted around is, you know, it's not so much anti-Semitism that drives all the attacks against Jews. And I don't think it's like pure misogyny that drives all the attacks against women. I think there's something else to it. For example, like when the rape crisis center was vandalized, obviously this is misogyny, but we all agree that if we were to interrogate the people who vandalized the Vancouver rape center with rape threats, they probably think of themselves as fighting for women's rights and non-misogynist. I know it's insane and they clearly are being so. And it's the same thing during, after the George Floyd, in Canada, there were riots, but certain people went into a synagogue in Montreal, destroyed the Torah scrolls, put them in the bathroom, in the toilet. Those people probably don't think of themselves as anti-Semites. So my theory has always been like the increased misogyny or increased anti-Semitism is in due to the fact that we threaten the like the narrative. So it's not that we are so much anti-Semitism. It's that the existence of Jews undermines what you yourself believe about the philosophy of the world. So in the Jewish context, it's there's a left-wing ideology that um, discrimination causes um, inequality. So because of hate crimes, that's why group X, let's say black people are poorer than group Y, white people. But the problem is the Jews. The Jews experience the highest level of hate crimes but they have monetary incomes higher than average. Well, therefore, now we need to insert classical anti-Semitism to explain this away. And then you get into the situation where you need to have good Jews and bad Jews, right? The good Jews play along and they do the anti-Zionism thing and there's the bad Jews. And I see this kind of mirrored maybe in the women's movement where you need to be a good woman, an intersectional feminist, and you cannot be a bad woman, a gender critical feminist. So I just want to sort of pick the brains of the, the smart women here very involved in this is like, how do you see the modern misogyny manifesting? Because to me, it looks like it's sort of the benevolent tyrant type thing. Like as women, we are protecting you in this space, but you are defying us. Therefore you must be crushed. And this is why I think lesbian women get it even worse than straight women with all the death threats because you're double defying. Like you're a lesbian woman. You should be, you know, you should be praising us for how we are protecting you from evil right-wing Daniel out there. Um, so. You know, again, I, I just wanted to sort of pick your brains of, am I kind of onto something here that these things cross-pollinate? Um, and because, again, I, I don't have sisters. You know, I'm going to be watching baseball after this. I like, how, how do like, 
I'm getting like, it's, I guess it's a general thing, but is this sort of similar of your experience? Cause I'm sure all of you being very publicly gender critical women have experienced a torrent of, of misogyny. And I, I just kind of wonder, do you have any sort of theories on what drives it in the modern world that is so can, progressive and tolerant? Daniel. So when you're talking about, if you were to ask these people who vandalized um, the offices of Vancouver rape relief, but if you were to ask them, they would think that they're not misogynist. I think that is true for many people within the trans right activist movement or woke people in general. However, it's not true for all of them. There are some people that use, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have a cold. They use this um, as a guise to be raging misogynists. Um, a lot of, a lot of men do this. Um, it's the same men who go out chanting sex work is work. It's great. It fits right into what these type of people want. You now have a mainstream liberal feminist movement that is cheering on the exploitation of women and cheering on the invasion of women's spaces by males. So some people, yes, they just haven't thought critically about this issue. And other people are very intentionally being the misogynists that they are. And they have the best cover that they've ever had, I think, probably in in the history of civilization. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah. And I, I wasn't saying there is no misogyny. Like, of course, there's modern anti-Semites and there's a lot of misogynists that come after that. I was kind of more interested in the people who see themselves as non-misogynists and truly believe it, yet are displaying, you know, horrible misogyny. And, you know, they'll threatened to rape and kill lesbian women for wanting to exist while being an LGBTQ activist. It just kind of fascinates me in a perverse way. It, there, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of um, ideological, you know, wrestling that goes on and it's all based in, in queer theory. And queer theory seeks to uh, disrupt and break down institutions and so on. So it, it's all postmodernist kind of gobbledygook in, in a way. And it's, and it's, it's deranging people, uh, to use Douglas Murray's word. <laughs> and I think that that's really the problem. We can't have direct and, um, and frank conversations because of that, because uh, everything is about words changing the nature of reality and that's what they believe andy would you like to say something yeah i was just i was going to wrap it up here and i was going to get away from the gender bits and, and go back to anti-hate network for bits and you know i think the the elephant in the room that we didn't really touch upon is that you know most of these funded federally funded institutions uh, completely are, are are blind to sort of far far left radicalization uh, or radicalization that doesn't, or far, uh, you know, radicalization that doesn't fit into conservatism. So, you know, I mean, Anti-Hate Network was directly tied to Antifa, uh, feeding Antifa information. And, you know, that that's all out there. It's all very public. It's very concerning. So they've completely, you know, oversight and, and have blinkers on when it comes to the fact that there's no extremism on, just on one side, right? There's a spectrum of it. And it doesn't just belong to one political party. It belongs to both political parties. And, you know, you, most of you know that John Kay and I sort of debunked the, the Ottawa arson. And so that was an example of where that was blamed on, you know, conservatives. It was blamed on truckers. 
And, you know, we challenged that. And, well, I mean, it looked like a, a couple of young individuals with Kool-Aid colored hair. So I was like, well, you know, are these conservatives or are these Antifa, right? Are these left-wing radicals that are, that are sort of causing mischief? Um, and, and they don't just do it in regards to Antifa. They do it in regards to, you know, radical Islam. Uh, you know, they completely blow, like blow past the fact that, yeah, I'm not saying it's a massive problem in Canada, but there, there is radicalism in Canada. And they won't even touch it because they're so scared of that Islamophobia label. And the issue is that, you know, the victims of radical Islam are, are, are probably Muslim women, right? They're the victims of sort of this ideology that, that's being carried out. It is being carried out in Canada. Nobody's looking at it. Nobody looks at, you know, uh, sex selection in, you know, South Asian groups or, or in, you know, Asian groups, uh, sex selective abortions and things like that that happen. So there's all these other things that, that go on in the background that are, you know, just completely obscured. And it's the big problem in our mainstream media is not, you know, we say that, that they're liars. It's not that they're liars. It's that, you know, not entirely telling the truth by omission. And so that's one of the big problems with anti-hate network is that, they may be tracking hate, but they're only tracking it on one political party's side of the fence. They're not tracking what's going on on the other political party's side of the fence. So that, again, it's, you know, it's lying by admission and being dishonest by admission. And it's directly federally funded. Uh, so it's extremely concerning because they're obscuring, you know, a risk that, that is real, that exists. I've got messages, you know, I, I've been told that Antifa is going to go out against the bikers. They're planning to egg them. You know, now, now I've got to scoot my, my butt out to Ottawa, apparently, to, to try to ward this off and to try to figure out what's going on, if there's going to be a scuffle. So, you know, I mean, if, if I'm getting this information, this is information that they should all be privy to, and they should be trying to ward off this kind of trouble. And they have no intention of doing it whatsoever. And I feel like, to some degree, they're encouraging it. Uh, you know, and so this is a huge problem with Anti-Hate Network. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to talk anymore because I've talked so much. Everybody is amazing here. Thank you so much for inviting me into this space and, and educating me. And we should do this again. Uh, you know, and you've made my drive from Edmonton to Calgary so much more fantastic. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Andy, for being here. Really appreciate it. And I would love to continue having these conversations with you. And um, really appreciate the work that you've done so tirelessly to cover um, the freedom convoys and um, to put yourself at risk and to ask the questions. Uh, we just had uh, Sue Ann Levy on our podcast and, and she was uh, bemoaning the, uh, the state of Canadian journalism uh, today that, that no, uh, that very few journalists are actually digging for the truth. You know, she said there are two types of, of uh, journalists there's reporters and there's repeaters and the repeaters just take whatever talking points they're given and they don't do any digging. And, um, and, and so we really appreciate the work that you do. And so, so thankful for you dropping by this evening and uh, yeah, glad your, your journey is going well. <laughs> uh, and you make a good point about this, uh, that they're only covering one side of the political spectrum purportedly Canadian anti-hate network and you know they're they're lumping us in with the far right which is is not reality but I I often say and and I'm I'm not the only one in smarter political commentators have made the same observation that you know the left right 
um, spectrum is no longer really helpful. It's really about the the libertarian totalitarian or authoritarian spectrum um, axis is the most interesting one because the authoritarian left is really what the Canadian anti hat hate network is all about and our sitting government they're you know they're they're authoritarian they're you know ruling by decree they're being secretive and um they may be left but but that's certainly authoritarian in my books so um let's get to some hands uh and larry uh thank you for waiting patiently go ahead great thank you all i uh uh new to this kind of platform and certainly appreciate the, the time given here. Uh, I stumble on it uh, because of Andy and some others that I follow, and I certainly appreciate the work they do. For me as a 60 plus something with uh, bonus daughters and hopefully to have grandchildren, I'm very perplexed in this new environment that I find myself in, given the minor attractive persons and, and all the things that are happening with transgender and so on and so forth. I'm at a point where I really don't know uh, how to approach young people uh, and, and how to explain to them simple things like gender that my mother had absolutely no problems telling us what gender was. So I'm looking for you all to say and to explain to me, um, how do we approach this moving forward? Can I answer, um, Larry? I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, both boys. I think about it a lot as I have one in public school now. And my plan for talking about it, and I already have these conversations, but is to just talk about it in the same way that my parents did. It's like, you're a boy or you're a girl. You can like whatever toys, whatever colors, whatever you like, it's fine. Um, Boys can have long hair all of that kind of thing. And then in terms of them being indoctrinated by others or in school, if that comes up, my plan is to just say there are people, because I'm an atheist, just to say there are some people who have religions, they believe in God, they believe in things like a soul. And some people believe in a gender soul. It's a fictional belief. I don't believe it. And this is why it doesn't make sense. Just very basic. So I, I just plan on framing it as a religion. I, I would like to um, add to that too, in that um, when these discussions started coming up in my household, uh, when Bill C-16 was on the table, and um, my son at the time would have been around 19. So, and I live in Toronto and um, he, little did I know, he had been fully indoctrinated into um, gender identity ideology and he was extremely angry at me holding gender critical views. And so we had some uh, very heated discussions and, but what I really um, stressed with him is that all people deserve their fundamental rights and all people uh, deserve to be treated with dignity, um, and but not all not not all ideas are worthy of respect, right? So, so that's really the thing that I and and I just I just stress that you know there is such a thing as material biological reality. I am a woman. The, the, I know what a woman is. I birthed you. 
you know, um, and, and, you know, there are men and there are women and, um, there are sex differences, but that, you know, gender is basically stereotypes and that you can, you can do, I was a tomboy. Um, I, I never said, I said I was never getting married, never having kids. And then I got married and had a kid, you know, so, um, these are the sort of things, just having like really honest discussions very plainly, but try to remain um, as unemotional about them as possible because the kids are very emotional and rightly so. They have been indoctrinated and like my son, he's very, he's a very kind hearted young man and he's very loyal to his friends. And so he said, I have some trans friends. And I'm like, I, I didn't know that. They're not friends that he that he had ever brought around the house. But of course, because every kid now has trans friends because it's so prevalent. So they want to be loyal to their friends. You've got to remember what it was like to be a teenager. But you've got to stand firm. You know, it's like you just have to speak plainly. But but also let them remember that you you're not trying to take away anybody's rights and you're not trying to denigrate anybody, but that there, the reality, reality is real. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, and and I, under, I understand that, but I have uh, raised two young men and for me, and it, excuse me, but being old school, I taught them that it was proper to hold a door for a woman. I taught them that it was proper to look after their mother. I taught them all those things. And now those standards for me, where I sit now, are being questioned. And it's like, what happened? What did, what did I miss in the last 40 years that put me in this spot, that put them in that spot? I, I would, to that, I would say what, what our movement about, as I've stated before, is basically just about law and public policy and that people get to organize their lives and their relationships with each other however they want. You know, like my husband does all the, virtually all of the cooking in our household, right? Um, I have been the main breadwinner uh, most of the time of my my adult life as well. Not with this husband, but with the previous one that I had a son with, and and my son's father stayed home and looked after our child because he was really good at that. I was good too, but I had higher earning potential, and you know we. Every, people get to negotiate amongst themselves how they are going to uh, take up gender roles and if they're going to reject some, if they're going to, some of them work for them. Um, that's, you know, it, it is a confusing time for a lot of people, but I think it's just basic um, human interaction that we really have to try to try to teach our kids, you know, basic respect, how to negotiate, how to, how to you know, all of that stuff. But that's not really what our movement is about. It, it, it's just I'm just speaking from from personal experience. But we're no, we're I, really yeah. I no, I I understand, and I and I came into this chat rather late, so I'm trying to get caught up and listen to everybody. So please, please be patient with me. the The thing I that I see is that we're, we're you know I I have absolute understanding not why or let me start again i have absolute understanding why women are upset about trans people coming into their space i still think that is wrong um i was fortunate enough to play hockey at a, at a level that was advanced but i knew early on that i wasn't going anywhere with it and i had occasion to skate with women 
that were far better than I was. And I had no problem with that. They were good athletes. But to see, to, to see trans men invade your space, to see this issue of um, what, are, what, what is a woman, to, to, to hear those conversations is really confusing. And that's why I brought up the point where I brought my kids up to look after. It's not misogynistic. It's just a matter of respect. And I think that ultimately what I'm seeing as, a, as an old timer looking at all the pictures on, on the chat room here, uh, that, that that's what's really missing. It's a, just a common, common respect for each other. I'm totally behind you on that. <laughs> I think we need more of that. We need more of, uh, you know, uh, just, yeah, basic decency and, uh, there's not much I can say to that, but I think you're on the right, on the right path. Um, thank you, Larry. Well, I appreciate your time and I appreciate what you're all doing. Uh, keep it on up and we'll take her one day at a time, I guess. That's right. We have to just keep having conversations and be well, allowed to do that. thank you for what you do. Yep. Thank you, Larry. Cheers to y'all. Same to you. MJ, go ahead. I just been sitting here listening about this whole culture war. And it just seems like isn't there, there's no political party that talks common sense anymore. Really? They're all talking, talking points and party lines, but they're not talking common sense. No one offers real solutions and no one wants to do anything about it. It's just, it seems like we're caught in this perpetual loop of idiocy where, you know, where no one wants to do anything. This last election, 11 and a half million people voted for, the liberals and the conservatives, ten and a half million people didn't bother voting. That says something when there's only a million people difference between the two major parties in this country that didn't vote. It says something to a disconnect to the society as a whole, as a society in general, and to the wants and needs of what people are looking for. It just seems that the system is so broke that people have given up about with trying to go and fix the system. The problem is, is on the way out of the system crashing, it's going to cause a lot of casualties through, the, through society. I think we have been demoralized in this country. I think the fact that there is all of this talk of transparency and, you know, inclusion and everything, and yet at every turn, you know, if you do have uh, any sort of, uh, alternate views, or if you do want to get involved, uh, you're, you're shut out of the conversation. I think there are many, many people in this boat, and those are the people who decided to stay home on election day. I, I would, I would think. I, I'm not a political, you know, analyst or anything, but that's just the feeling that I get. You know, it's that it's that generally Canadians are demoralized. Because they see the corruption and they see the fact that these um, uh, these laws are being are being just sort of rubber stamped through without adequate, you know, and so many Canadians don't even understand uh, how laws are made in this country. And they don't even understand what the Canadian Charter of Human uh, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is. They don't they in fact, there are some people in Canada who, if you talk about your charter rights, they believe that you're some kind of a right-wing bigot for even mentioning that you have charter rights. I mean, that's how crazy it's gotten. You know, I mean, 
people are not involved civically at all. Very few people are involved. And that goes back to public education at a provincial level. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's the room seems to be winding down now, but it's been just a great uh, evening of uh, conversation and a lot of different voices coming from different perspectives. And uh, we did talk about the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and we, we meandered all over the place, but I think it was all sort of related to uh, the, the discussion of what this you know, organization stands for uh, as a concept and um, and how it's uh, eroding trust within and among groups in Canada, and um, and it just sort of is a uh, an indicator of what's going on in the in the higher levels of government that you know they can be given a, over a quarter of a million dollars to uh, to call out people like you know Rain and Andy and you know Canadian Women's Sex Based Rights uh, Amy. Uh, uh, Libby and and the uh, the post millennial, um, so I think it's just an entire trend that's going on that uh, we we do have to push back against. And I see we're cl- closing it down now, Bear. But if you have a very quick comment, I'm going to let Andy speak, and then I'm going to let you have your quick comment. So I'll give you. Uh, a mic, and then and that'll be it for for this evening. So, Andy, go ahead. Yeah, apologies. I was just going to say I'll post a, I'll post a link up to the podcast that I put up on the Anti Hate Network, uh, talking about polling stations and the federal funding, links to Southern Poverty Law Center, sort of all the background on the information. Antifa. That was the podcast that I had up on YouTube that ended up having to be pulled. Uh, oh, fantastic. But I yep. will post that up, uh, and if people are interested in reading the sort of the manuscripts behind it that, you know, got me into trouble and, and got me targeted, uh, you know, and, and gave me my own YouTube channel uh, that I wasn't expecting that, you know, put all my personal information up online. Uh, so I, I'll be posting that if anybody's interested. And thank you again so much. Okay, thank you. So I would encourage everybody to look up in the nest, and there's a there aren't too many uh, links there, but if you want to, uh, I, what I may do is uh, after I uh, shut this down, I'll leave the links, I'll leave the space open so that you can uh, get access to any of the links that you want to that we've uh, shared today. So, uh, Bear, hi, welcome. Hello, um, uh, Andy just mentioned uh, the same parallel that's in the. Uh, United States, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center is a just a big front group to to cause trouble and uh, you know defame people. And they may have good uh, good reasons for certain, but when they start nitpicking over this or that, it's uh, much the same as what uh, you just just been describing with the Canadian version. So that was about it. Um, we oh, I opened up the space today by reading from the piece in the C2C journal by John Klein, and he makes the uh, uh, connections between uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center and the fact that uh, Canadian Anti-Hate Network was uh, created to uh, emulate it. And um, so that's a really interesting article. I urge everybody to read that. There's a lot of great information in there and really good analysis. And also, so uh, as we uh, as we wrap up, I just want to see if Amy and Rain have any final thoughts. 
I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining everyone. And it always kind of seems to go into a general discussion about gender identity ideology, which makes sense for our podcast, but it's always interesting. So thank you for everyone who had thoughtful comments and questions. It was great. I want to say also thank you to everybody uh, for spending the time with us and considering all of these difficult uh, issues. And I think that the, the more we do of this, the better. And, um, and uh, I hope you all ha- have come away with some food for thought. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in more spaces. Uh, please follow us on Twitter. Please check out our podcast. Uh, uh, follow uh, Andy and Amy and Rain at Alberta Radfams and Libby and John, uh, Jonathan Kay, uh, and many of the people in this room. Just just find them because um, they're the people who are open to discussing and seeing all sides of a story and um, coming with fact-based analysis. So on that note... Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. For now, I'll say good night and keep talking. Thanks for listening. Gender Critical Story Hour is written and produced by Amy Ham and Esme V. Intro music by Nahanda. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us your peak trans stories, how gender identity ideology has impacted your life, or just say hi and let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Write to us at gendercriticalstoryhour at gmail.com. Tweet to us at gcstoryhour. Take care, keep strong, and keep talking. Bye for now. Gender Critical Story Hour is sponsored by The Mythical Biological Female. I'm your man.